And yeah, Super was, Mario Bros. movie was was fun. Um, it, it wasn't didn't take any risks really, other than have uh, Peach be independent and a strong woman, which you know some oh, people might have issue. in the yeah. current year. So some people <laughs> might have issue with with that <laughs> lately. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't have an issue with that. What I what I had an issue with is the fact that they went with Chris Pratt as the voice of Mario. And I get it. He's like Mr. Hollywood right now. He's like the yeah. name that everyone wants to use. But honestly, the guy who does the voice of Mario... Game begin. The Mystery Gaming Bros are awesome! The Mystery Gaming Bros know how to party! Hey, Mystery Pony Fiction here, bringing you another episode of the Mystery Gaming Bros podcast. Join this time by two guys with a face and hair. So you know what that means. Joe Rogan and Jeff Bezos are not joining me today. I'll just have to settle with Shakespeare, Eccles, and Cashflow. At last, we are all here at the same time, but Cashflow will turn up a bit late. This is a podcast that is 90% about video games, but we are all members of the Brony fandom, so that may come up too on seldom occasions. So, uh... You and me, Shakes, we watched the Game Awards together with some of our mates. Yep. And uh, what are your thoughts on on how that turned out? I think the 2023 Game Awards was a, a was a parody of itself. The, the joke's already been made, but it really is true. It's 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 just it's one big parody commercial. of itself. Well, no, commercial. it's it, well, <laughs> it's always been that. Like it's it's part award ceremony, part you know, three hour long commercial for upcoming games. That's how it's always been. And I think there's nothing wrong with that formula. Um, but I think the theme of the Game Awards this year was, uh, I think as uh, Yahtzee Croshaw put it best, let's all laugh at an industry that never learns anything. Tee-hee-hee. <laughs> all right. So like um, going through the, uh, it looks like we need to go to the bottom of the page that I linked to start from the start of the actual event. Because it, it looks like it's got um, Game of the Year at the top and the categories that they covered at the bottom. So, yep. I mean, you know, from the bottom to the top, it's in that order. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, down at the bottom to Best Esports event, no one really cares about that. But um, what, I, what I do want to mention about that was uh, that Nintendo, that, that it might have... Um, Smash Bros. Ultimate might have been able to be an event, but apparently Nintendo crushed that because, um, you know, they're douchebags. Have you heard about that? Yeah. How um, they so what they they did they didn't want Super Smash Bros. to be considered a uh, an esport. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I don't really know all the details. I just remembered watching a YouTube about it. Yeah, about how. Yeah, Smash Bros. was going to have a big esports event, and uh, Nintendo were just so well evil. <laughs> well, I mean that's kind of a an, an umbrella take on it. Um, I, unfortunately, I don't know enough about that to actually have an, an opinion. But I, I don't like it. Might have it might have been a, a I don't want to say a political, but like a popular decision where they just decided they didn't want they didn't want to be part of that scene in an official capacity, or it could have been a a money decision where like they had all these other things going on, you know, like the the Valorant championships going on, and they didn't want to be trying to compete with that time slot. 
or they might have something better with they might have their sights on something better in 2024 uh, who's to say i mean i don't have the uh, bird's eye view of the nintendo corporate decision making process but i think that the idea of them being an evil cabal um probably isn't very productive from top to bottom even if it was true yeah that um there, there's just been a lot of stuff about them being very anti-consumer and like uh they they don't seem to think about think of the world outside Japan very much, and uh, I mean I could go more into that, but I don't really have the resources on hand at the moment. But anyway, um, the next category was best esports coach, uh, coach, best esports team, best esports athlete. But I don't think we really have much to say about that. No, not really. Yeah, I, I'm not, I mean, the, I'm not the best esports e game went to Valorant, and I think it's only because Counter Strike, Dota, League of Legends, and PUBG had already like won, like in previous years. And to them, to just keep giving them the gold medal every year, I think it was it was more of an opportunity to try to give Valorant some exposure. Oh yeah. So that's kind of like a I don't I don't want to call it a participation award, but it's more like uh, the other ones just being like, all right, let him have the spotlight for a year. Yeah, I I've never played Counter Strike or Counter Strike Two. Um, I'm not really someone that's into those, you know, first-person shooter, shooter sort of games. Uh, not since um, way back in the N64 days. I haven't really touched those very much. Um, What'd you play in N64? Would you play like the Turok multiplayer? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but my favorite game was Perfect Dark. You know, okay. it was that you know started with Goldeneye, and then me and my uncle moved to Perfect Dark, and. Um, yeah, we spent a lot of time playing that, you know, got like thousands of hours in it. Um, but as for best esports game for this year, uh, you know, I would have nominated Realm Royale. That's my favorite one. Because um, like there's a, like, it's sort of like Fortnite, except it's actually about, you know, running around and crafting weapons and shooting, but it doesn't have all the annoying building mechanics that I hate about Fortnite. Like what, what? Well, the, the, the nice thing about Fortnite, I mean, I'm, I'm not exactly taking Fortnite's side here because I'm not a huge fan myself, but like, you, you're not required to do any of the building aspects in Fortnite if you play multiplayer. It's like anytime I watch people play, it's always very irritating when someone's got that drop on someone else and they just drop down a whole entire building in front of them as a yeah. shield. It's just <laughs> all it does is just, it just delays the gameplay, you know? It's, it just, it makes matches take longer. And one of the things I always liked about playing something like Warzone, for example, is that you could you could have a bad landing site out of your plane where a bunch of people all land around you, and you don't get a good weapon, and it just becomes a pistol battle, you know, a, a pistol party, and either you're gonna either your team's gonna walk out of there, you know, alive or you're not. But either way, the match is only like ninety seconds, and you can just play again. Yeah. Um, so but... either either the match is short or you win. And then you just right back get right back in and playing again, which is nice, especially in the modern, you know, in the in the current year when most people don't have a whole ton of time to play. You know, a lot of the the gamer crowd is getting older. They've got nine to fives. They don't have a ton of time to play in the evening because they've got other things to do. They've got to cook and clean and take care of house and yeah. their kids and whatnot. So if you can only hop on for like you know thirty or thirty minutes to an hour, you know, being able to jump into a game like that is really good. Yeah. Um... Yeah, uh, Fortnite does have a no build mode now. Um, so I tried it one time and I won. So I've now got a 100% win rate in no build mode on, 
on Fortnite. So I think I'm just going to never play it again and keep that keep that 100% win rate. Yeah, just retire in your laurels of a perfect record. Go yeah, for exactly. It. <laughs> Although, um, as us. Um, a friend of ours said when we were watching the Game Awards, uh, I was probably just playing against bots and they probably do that just to try to draw people in and have them think they're good. Well, yeah, because when you have a, a Battle Royale game like that where it's dependent on player traffic, like you're going to have times of day, like since you're, especially since you're based out of Australia, you know, uh, there, there's going to be times of day when you'd be able to play when most of the rest of the world up over is sleeping. And, but they still want you to be able to have that game experience of playing against a lot of other competitors. And, you know, if they have to fill in those slots with bots, you know, then that's what they're going to do just to keep you playing until actual players show up. Yeah, uh, I, but um, I, I think um, they probably try to draw you in, you know, by making you think you're good at first, by having it all be bots and, like, shit bots. Because in this first game that I was playing of Fortnite... I was um I was trying to set up my my keybinds and everything while I was playing, and I still managed to win, even though I was constantly distracted and going into settings and stuff. So I think I was definitely playing against really terrible bots to be able to win. Well, that's situation. possible. That's yeah. possible. I, I'm not. I don't know the uh, the gear workings uh, behind the scenes for Fortnite. But I'm, I'm sure there's there's plenty of people out there who could explain it better, but. Um, yeah, I know, I know. Like one of the other uh, one of the other things that uh, got nominated for was the uh, content creator of the year, and I don't care about any of these people because they're not me. Yeah, if I, I, I don't list, know that would for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm not someone that watches that sort of content, so I don't know anything about that. No. Um, but, uh, as, as far as the most anticipated games of the year, uh, which, uh, which let's, is let's just list category. them out first. Let's just list them out first. Um, okay, just bolds the one that oh, oh, for the most anticipated, yeah. Let's just list them out. Um, so Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth, Hades 2, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, Star Wars Outlaws, and Tekken 8. And we can go like talk a bit about each of those games and then maybe say who the winner was at the end. All right, well. Um, I mean, I'm looking forward to Hades too. I've, I've played Hades and I enjoyed it a, a ton. Yeah, uh, same Star yeah. Wars Outlaws. Star Wars Outlaws looks really interesting. I think it has the potential to be a really good Star Wars game in the same way that Rogue One was a good Star Wars movie. And because as much as I am a huge weeb for Jedis and lightsabers, I've found that I've enjoyed the Star Wars movies that have the least amount of that. Mm. You know, I'm I not mean, as much I'm of a old... Star Wars fan. Um... I'm more more into Star Trek myself, and I don't play many Star Wars games. Probably the last Star Wars game I played was like KOTOR 2. Um, and yeah, I pretty much just, that's yeah been the only one I've played in a long time. Yeah. But, so I actually, when I when I played Knights of, Knights of the Old Republic, um, I kind of tricked myself into doing it because I, you have to understand, this is almost before the internet was really a thing. When that game came out so it was just like this thing saying hey there's this game coming out and you would find out about it from either a tv commercial or a magazine ad in like nintendo power or something and and when i saw that there was a new star wars game coming out i thought it was going to be like uh jedi academy or um uh jedi outcast where it was a third person you know melee game we go around swinging a lightsaber and and doing all that in real time and it turned out it was a point and click adventure game um 
with you know with RPG elements. And so I started the game, and I'm like, wait, I gotta click on this thing that my character walks over here. I was so disappointed because it wasn't that fast-paced, frenetic, uh, you know, yeah. actual real-time combat game. And I went to try to return it, and they're like, no, you can't do software returns. And you know, they explained because you could you could pirate the software and then return the disc. So I was stuck with it. So I mean, I just I had just spent sixty dollars on this game because it was like launch day, mm. and I said, all right, well, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna own this, I, I ought to play it at least. And after getting into playing it, it ended up being like my favorite Star Wars game of all time. And oh yeah, yeah. yeah. For, for me, it was I, 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 I was I enjoyed it from the beginning because I like those sort of RPGs. You know, I, I was yeah hyped from the start with. Yeah, and I and I do now. Uh, the, the, it's just the way I got into it. I wasn't expecting it. It caught me off guard that that, that was going to be that kind of uh, game style. Yeah. Um, and but comparing between the two, and I know we're getting a little off topic, but just comparing between the two, I would say that Knights of the Republic Two had better gameplay in terms of you know like the interface and some of the extra additions to like you know being able to you know add more customization to your lightsabers and force powers and the way that you could influence your followers and whatnot. But ultimately I'd say that Knights of the Republic one was a better game because it had a better story. And yeah, it had a one hell of a twist. <laughs> to this day it has the best twist of yeah. any entertainment media I've ever experienced. Like like I've seen like, you know, like um Planet of the Apes where he comes where he finds out, oh, it was Earth all along or Luke finding out that Darth Vader was his father, but man, the twist in Metal Book One, and I still, I, I spoiler check myself because there are people who have not played that game yeah. who need to play it without knowing that twist because that is just that's the kind of thing that'll knock your socks off. It is one of my favorite twists in a game, but I probably wouldn't say it's the best one I've I've witnessed. But yeah, it was definitely yeah, one hell of a shocker. Um, yeah. yeah, but uh, moving on. Uh, now, Like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth, I don't really know anything about that. But what I do know is that I absolutely loved Like a Dragon, um, uh, Yakuza, that's it. Like a Dragon, Yakuza. Oh. That was a brilliant, brilliant game. Absolutely. Yeah, I hear Like it. a Dragon and I'm thinking that's the Madonna song. Right. But, but then apparently uh, there's one Like a Dragon Ishin that has been re-released recently. I thought it was a new game and it was uh, the same sort of RPG mechanics and everything. Because what it is, is it's a RPG game about, you know, martial art, like street martial arts fighting, you know, and you actually walk around Tokyo. Like this is in Like a Dragon um, Yakuza. And yeah. um yeah, you walk around Tokyo and you get into street fights, street gang fights and stuff, and you level up and it's actually turn-based, so you actually go into a menu and you, you know, choose to use a special move and, and like, the, the, the environment, you know, like, the environment is where it is. You don't go into, like, a separate screen to when a fight happens and it doesn't, you know, go into... Yeah, it's not like a random encounter. No, you can see so the people it's, in like, the it's like Pokemon, except you're the Pokemon. Uh, in, term, in terms I, of how the combat plays out. Yeah, I don't know if that'd be the best way to explain it. This, this is why I wish Cashflow was here because he could like bring up a, uh, yeah, bring up gameplay of it, and I could actually, yeah, explain it better. But um, yeah, oh, it's a, it, it was it's one of my favorite games of last year, um, and yeah, it was just such a yeah good surprise. And plus, the story was absolutely amazing. So I don't really know much about what this Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth is going to be, 
whether it's still connected to the Yakuza franchise or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Well, rounding out the list is Tekken 8, which is Tekken. Doesn't really need an explanation. Yeah. And uh, there's a, and I don't imagine that there's that there's much of a surprise that didn't win for most anticipated game because it's already a Tekken game, you know, just a different number on the end of it. Yeah. Although Final Fantasy VII winning was odd to me, but then I realized, oh, no, it's just it's a Square Enix game, and Square Enix has one of those weird fan bases like Apple. Oh yeah, or, like um, Final Fantasy VII was one of the first games I played in my life. Um, I'm like, or at least. But yeah, first PlayStation game I played, I think, yeah, it was the first like 3D-ish game that I played. Before that, I just played stuff on the um, Sega and stuff like that, the uh, Sega Mega Drive. And I just yep. remember being really young. And I also remember not having a memory card. <laughs> and so every t I was playing at hardcore mode. And every time I'd die in Final Fantasy VII, that was it. I'd have to start over from the beginning because <laughs> I didn't have a memory card. And, uh, yeah, I have, so, like, I never got past Midgard when I played it when I was really young. I was so, going to say, because you couldn't even turn your system off then if you were doing that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, and that, that's, that's bonkers because people always say like, oh, you have to get past like the first nine hours of the game before you can start enjoying it, which I think is a terrible gatekeeping mechanic for a game. Well, that um, have you played Final Fantasy VII Remake? Cause, no, uh, I, I, I played Final Fantasy back in the 90s. Yeah, but, but you have played VII, haven't you? From like beginning to end or? No. Okay. No, I, I got about like two hours into it. And I said, wow, this is boring. And then I went back to playing Doom. Well, that sucks because uh, Final Fantasy VII is one of those games that I think might have a better twist in it than uh, KOTOR. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant story. And um, yeah, just it being um, reimagined in this, uh, you know, in modern gaming, starting with uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is actually the first 10 hours of the game extended to about 30 hours of gameplay and it's all just the first part of the game where you're stuck in Midgar because the game starts with you being in this big city um, that you can't leave until certain story events force you to leave and then you can't actually go back in and uh, where, the part where Final Fantasy 7 Oh my god, you're talking about start. Terrace It's just Terrace Te Well, yeah, you're your main party are technically like they're eco terrorists. That's what the storyline is. No, I mean I meant I meant terrorists from from Kotor One, the city of Terrace. On the on the planet of Terrace, you know, with um, uh, I'm not sure if I remember. Did you, <laughs> you don't remember playing the? First? All right. Well, anyways, yeah, you start in the city before you even like steal the Ebon Hawk and you go planet hopping. Yeah, yeah. So FF Seven starts in a similar way. And, uh, yeah, the first game that they brought out, yeah, is, is that um, first 10 hours of the game where you're stuck in the one city. Uh, anyway, I think I'm rambling a bit. But, yeah, I think that, yeah, it was definitely worthy of being winner for most anticipated game. I'm definitely going to be into it. I'm probably going to uh, replay the first part of Final Fantasy VII Remake to um, get hyped up again for it. And to actually just like be able to seamlessly continue into this next game. Because this next game is going to um, have the actual open world 
which seems like seems more ambitious than I think they could possibly do from because you know in the first game it was on rails because you did just have the small area that you were stuck in but once they open the world it's going to be hard to imagine how what kind of development time that would take well I suppose time will tell yeah because I assume they're just going to keep the rest of the game on rails, like in Final Fantasy X or, you know, four, uh, 13. Uh, but maybe they will completely open it up and it will be amazing. Well, it's, there's a trade-off, you know, you know, because otherwise you have to understand that like, when you have two dimensions to a game, they don't, they're not additive, it's exponential. So if you have a really deep story then the breadth of your world can't be that wide because otherwise you'd have to have all these characters with these really deep, rich backgrounds and meet ways of interacting with them. Every time you add that, you know, you have to multiply a whole another set of tree of dialogue and events and whatnot. And it's the reason why, like, you have, you know, a wide open world like Breath of the Wild and very few NPCs. Most of it's either enemies or, you know, puzzles and whatnot. And you have a couple of villages with NPCs with any meaningful dialogue beyond, I like chickens, you know? It's, yeah. Then it, it's very shallow, and it's a mile wide. But whereas, like, with something like a, a, your standard RPG, where you have a very limited, you know, you're in this big city, but you can only go down these few sections of streets, but the, the, the characters you interact with are all really deep and rich. It's because you can either have a, either have a mile wide and an inch deep, or you can have these unfathomable depths, but you have to stay in a very narrow corridor. Mm, yeah. And if you, because if you try to do both, your game is going to be the first of all, the file size would be enormous, especially if all that dialogue was voiced. And if it's if it's all in, I mean, and then you have to voice it again for all the different languages because it's re, otherwise it's region locked. Um, but I mean, even just even just the fact that like you take all the text from like uh, Skyrim, for example, just the little incidental books that you could just happen upon oh, you know, all the collected yeah. all the collected text is more than war and peace you know just all that to read and you could you could spend hours and hours just reading all the books in skyrim yeah there's a lot of books in sky um elder scrolls online too they've got the same sort of thing going there yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's just with text you know yeah yeah I, I quite often read that text and uh yeah it's worth it yeah, and and listen, you're you're the player that those things are for, but the you can you there's you limits can choose to, to that. ignore you know, them if you want. Because even even if we had an unlimited hard drive and and we had the unlimited ability to make a game that big, you're you're not you don't have an unlimited time because it, it, otherwise your your game would take literally forever to make and it would never release. So you have to one of the things you have to be careful of when you're doing game development. You know, this is something that I've learned from being in the industry is that you have to have an understandable sense of your scope. You know, you have to pick what you want to include and you have to know what you can't include in order to have what you really want. What well, what do you mean by being in in the industry? Uh, are you a... finally finally made it. it? Took me a little while, but my time has been off. Hey, fair enough, man. I'm just glad you're here. Ah, uh... cash flow. Well, Mister, okay. I know how he sounds to you, but he sounds a little quiet to me. Is okay. your microphone turned down? Uh, I'm looking at the bars now. Did you want to speak a bit, Cash? And I'll watch the yeah, bar. Is it uh, is it a little low? Is it a little quiet? 
it's going it's into the yellow. Uh, it's going a little oh, less into the yellow than shakes. So maybe well, turn I'm, yours I'm just, up I'm a little bit. I'm just a loud bit. mouth. What can I say? <laughs> All right. You guys <laughs> figure that out. I'm going to grab another beer. Yep. Okay. That was good. Yeah. So, uh, Cash, we were going through, if you, if you uh, click on that document that I linked in MGB, um, we're just oh, going yeah. through the, uh, yeah, the document of the game awards and we started at the bottom and are going up because that's the, uh, order that the announcements were made in during the actual show. So we've gone through esports stuff, content creator of the year, most, and where we were talking about most anticipated game and, uh, yeah, we'll be going into best multiplayer next and, uh, how far would we have as the best, uh, as the most anticipated game of the year? Is that Baldur's Gate 3? No, that's Game of well, the no, Year. Well, no, it's not. It's, it's Baldur's Gate 3 is already out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, 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 no spoilers yeah, about how the but rest we're of the we're talking about We're talking about games that have not come out yet, and that was what, you know, is currently the most anticipated game. Um, but just quickly. I, I, uh, I, just got there. I just got there. Cash, are you, are you able to be our screen for us? Like you usually uh, are? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Let me go ahead and share it real quick. There it is. Boom. Okay. Um, okay. I need to go in and click on watch stream. Oh man. Oh, there it is. All right, cool. Now we're recording your screen. Hell yeah. Um, so that will give some content for our video watchers on YouTube. Yeah. Cause I was trying to just, describe um a game to shakes earlier and uh i couldn't really show him examples that's all right if you want i can pull up the game real quick no, uh, it's... well we're past that now um we can move on from here and uh go into best multiplayer and um i'm actually very surprised um anyway i'm not <laughs> uh super mario bros wonder street fighter 6 party animals diablo 4 and Baldur's Gate 3. Now... Is it bad that I've only heard of two of those titles? Really? I, it was Diablo 4 and Baldur's Gate 3. I haven't heard of Street... I didn't, like, I didn't know Street Fighter 6 came out, Super Mario Bros. Wonder, or the Party Animals game. I didn't realize those had come out. Yeah, well, they have. Um... Well, Street Fighter 6 is kind of like in the same boat as Tekken 8, where like if yeah. you're in that scene, you hear about it. But like if you're not into the fighting game scene, then there's no real effort to advertise it outside of those circles, you know? Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's, it's kind of like it's kind of like if someone told you, hey, a new Madden game came out, and then you'd just be like, yeah, and water is wet. <laughs> right. It's, it's right. like a new Madden game comes oh, out like yeah. every year. I see. No, that makes more sense if I'm being honest. Because yeah, I'm not too into the uh, Tekken or the or the uh, Street Fighter series. I know about them, and I have I have friends actually that was real that were really into it. However, for me, it just never really uh, popped up on my radar as much. Yeah, and because for me, fighting games are a lot like sports games, like you know, like Madden. Because you got Street Fighter Six, you got Tekken Eight. Ultimately, it's two characters on a screen. And you have to learn their combos, and once you get that muscle memory, then you optimize your play styles against other players and their all that stuff. And it all just kind of becomes this like meta, you know, like the limitations of like human twitch reaction, and it's less about it actually being a game, you know. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's one of the things that I remember watching in the. Um, this is back when I was around 
must have been four or five years ago at this point, but a bunch of us got together and we watched a Tekken live stream. It was, uh, I believe, the finals at the time. And it seemed a little spammy, but it was mostly just because it was meta. You know what I mean? Like they were using the, the specific characters that they were using. It was more so along those lines. So for me, it was still pretty interesting because, you know, watching high-level gameplay like that, it's something else. Especially these people's reaction times and whatnot. But, you know, not really being into that community as much. You can appreciate how great it is, but you don't have the full appreciation. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've always been more of a Tekken person. Although I haven't played Tekken. Like, I haven't played many of those. Well, actually, I think I kind of prefer Soul Calibur more now. But anyway, I haven't really played those sort of fighting games very much. I'm more of a Smash Bros kind of person now. Um, and plus, I, I, I don't like fighting games that are just about remembering, you know, button combinations. I prefer ones that are more about, you know, how to do every move. Everyone knows how to do every move. And it's more about the actual, you know, strategy of the fight rather than right. well, memory. Well, it just comes down to the, the execution of the muscle memory. And at that point, I just, I, I would challenge you, just have a challenge of playing Simon. Because at that point, that's the most basic quick time event you could have is just playing a game of simon right but you know, i, I will say it's nobody's nobody's great surprise the best multiplayer award went to Baldur's gate 3 and i i'm surprised <laughs> i'm surprised because it's not even like personally i i wouldn't want to play Baldur's gate 3 multiplayer because you know you'd have to have people that are as patient as you you know it's a game that you've got to be patient in and um, well, maybe it's a game that you need to be patient in, but I think that the appeal for the multiplayer in that game is the chaos that can happen. Like yeah. you don't mix up, you don't mix up your single player gameplay run where you can be the the, op the optimizing perfectionist where you want to do a very specific series of events. If you want to play a certain style, it's when not just that. It's not just that. It's also the narrative that you've got to sit and watch. You know. Um, if you're playing multiplayer, you know, all four of you are like sitting there watching dialogue for like 70% of the time. <laughs> and, and then you're waiting for your turn in a turn-based um, tabletop game, which, uh, yeah, just seems a bit counterintuitive as a multiplayer. As a True, but I, I would say, like, well, for me, I, first of all, I want to I clarify up front here. I haven't played Baldur's Gate 3 yet. I've been waiting for it to go on sale, which I assume it's going to do for the holiday sale on Steam at which point I do intend to get it and play it. But I would think, because I've seen enough of the uh, play online without getting too spoilery, is the idea is to play it single player, how you want to play it. And then once you've had your fill of that, then you play it multiplayer to just invite that chaos. Because hopefully, yeah. if everyone has already played through the single player, you already know what most of those dialogue events are, and you can just kind of skip, 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 and get to the action part of it. I suppose so. You know, Might be worth trying with someone. The way you're describing it, the way you're describing it, Mystery, is... It's almost like, all right, so I recently started playing Hunt Showdown. It was a game that I had in the past thought about, but only recently started playing. One of the things that I really like about that game is, and I think it's more so to do with my uh, the guy that I play it with a lot. We play it very, very slowly at first, but it's almost like it pops off. So at first, you know, we try and be slow. We try to be a little methodical in our movements, but as soon as the, the fight pops off, it's chaos all around. You know, you have instances where you get third party, you have instances where you have multiple, well, yeah, essentially third party, but even up to fourth, fifth parties at times. And I personally absolutely love the chaos that comes with it after the, after all the, all the, 
slowness after all the tension builds up essentially because you know there's other people in the map you know there's other people that are coming to kill you so after having moving so slow to suddenly just explosive movements you know to me that's the part that i really come i find to enjoy about about hunt and i can imagine is is that a battle royale it's yeah it's a battle royale but it's a slightly different take on it where now you all are looking for miss or clues that lead you to a boss and then you fight over that boss i gotcha well i just all right so the general the general appeal of a battle royale especially since they're trying to make games that are streamable is that it's not an action game it's a suspense game not a horror game it's a suspense game because there's all that suspense between the gunfights of oh when's the next bout of action going to happen and then when it happens it's that release of that tension and that makes it very watchable very streamable and i think that's why the the battle royale genre has just been so massive it kind of, it's you know with with PUBG and Twitch hand in hand the, the whole genre has just blown up because of that and I would actually agree very much so. It, there's a lot of suspense that ends up building up in that, in, in just the moving slowly and silently, because it's almost like Tarkov, if you guys have ever played Tarkov. Nah. Yeah. Where every single movement that you make, anyone can notice if they're around you. Like, if you reload, people are going to hear that. If you run, people are going to hear that. So it's kind of like that in an instance, and it gives that tension building because you know someone might be around you you know someone's probably there and maybe you can't correctly identify where they are and that really does make a difference all right i don't want to i don't want to skip ahead in the discussion but i have to ask have you played the finals yet no i haven't i've been seeing you guys play it and i've been uh i've been i haven't taken a peek yet but all right um, it's free just download it while we're talking yeah all right right, i'll download it yeah, um, we'll probably go into a discussion the finals after yeah, the that's, game. Yeah, that's awards. that's that's for the finale here. Yeah. Um... But but yeah. So anyway, the, the the point is with Baldur's Gate three for the multiplayer. After I play through it in single player, I would be switching over to the multiplayer. Now, once I have some game knowledge under my belt, and then it would be more chaotic and frenetic of just kind of like, oh, let's just rush through it and just see what happens. You throw spaghetti at the walls. Everything goes wrong, but it's enjoyable because you're doing it with your friends. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I've seen you guys play Valheim and uh, Terraria and stuff like that, and I just find it sort of hard to wrap my head around a, a long-time commitment sort of game, you know, with friends. You know, uh, like I'm all for Jackbox and, you know, short games like that, but, yeah, the, the commitment of, like, joining a Stellaris campaign or something like that, yeah, it's a bit overwhelming because, you know, I, I have to make sure that I'm, like, you know, there for next time and stuff like that. Well- that that's a that's been a hard balance for us to strike um in the server in general like because yeah. you have you have people who can't make those kind of time commitments and as much as like you know scarlet and i would love to you know have these big long you know uh, games that run for a long time or having a dedicated server um it's hard to coordinate that and most people don't have the time so we usually and and, and some some of the better games uh like uh like uh, the finals is only three player. Um, most multiplayer games are only four players, and oftentimes we'll have a game night where there'll be up to eight or even twelve people who are all in the same voice chat who all want to play, and so we have to play something more of a party game. Yeah. Um, and in those cases, you know, some and, and then this is also the price tag because you know most of the people who are online with us here they're broke as a joke, living paycheck to paycheck. They can't be shelling out you know sixty dollars every month for a new game or 
or even ten dollars every other week for something else. So we got to kind of either stick with the cheap ones or even the free ones. Yeah. And I'm not gonna. As much as I love you guys, you know, and I'd give you the shirts off my back if I had to. I'm not gonna be buying video games for everybody just to have them all play. So we yeah. kind of. Our our yeah. strategy is: if it's free, it's for me. Yeah. Anyway, uh, not quite. No one can expect that of you. Yeah. You know, don't get me wrong. I love playing with everybody. But I can't just go about shilling out fifty dollars, you know, two three times over just because I want to play with everybody. Yeah, so yeah. I think we're stating the obvious here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we mean, should like, probably move on because we've been all on right, that for right. a little while. Um, so next we've got uh, best sports racing game, which is something I, I don't personally really care about. Um, I've yeah, been... none of those. None of those is a remake of Burnout Three, so I don't care. Yeah, um, I am kind of. Uh, interested in hot wheels unleashed 2 um just actually cause... gonna mention that one that one looks interesting it yeah. does look fine I'll, I'll give it that it does definitely does look fine i keep waiting for them to make burnout remake burnout 3 the takedown which was originally made for the playstation 2 and it was the greatest racing game of all time and they've just never done a graphical upgrade for it and it has not aged well yeah i'm kind of mainly just interested in hot wheels because i played it a lot back in the 16-bit days and uh I just, yeah, it's more interesting that whole, yeah, you're a tiny car in a normal-sized world and everything's big and and the kind of unique tracks that you can get from that. Um, it's kind of fun. Um, yeah, whereas no, the I, other I ones was, are just was, normal, yeah. boring, ordinary yeah. cars. <laughs> I had that wool pulled over my eyes too, like back in the old Team Fortress classic days because people would make a, a, a level that looks like a kid's bedroom and you're tiny little soldiers, but it, then, you don't, then you realize, oh, wait, no, they just made everything really big so you feel small. Yeah. That's the same game. Pretty much, um, pretty much. Now, for, right. for, for the best sim and strategy games... All right, like, let's list them. Um, yeah, Advance Wars 1 and 2, Reboot Camp, Cities Skylines 2, Company of Heroes 3, Fire Emblem Engage, and Pikmin 4. This um, one, this one was actually I, I, a legit surprise for me. Yeah, same for me. I, I've never played any Pikmin games, so I don't really have much to say about that. Um, what I will talk about though is Cities Skylines Two. I actually bought that um, for its you know normal price, non deluxe version, and um, I played it for two hours and one minute, and I decided to refund it because it ran like crap. I read reviews and apparently it runs like crap on um, on even, you know, like supercomputers and um, it was just terribly optimized and uh, it, it sort of starts over um, and uh, doesn't have um, all the features that Cities Skylines 1 now has with all its DLC and um, I, I, I kind of want to try it more. I'm probably actually going to have to pirate it next time I play it, um, because, yeah, um, it, like you with cities... out loud <laughs> in a live stream. Because, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. Should I edit that out? Here's or? the thing. <laughs> I, think, I think City Skylines 2 is running into... It's running into the same problem that uh, Starfield... Yeah. Like, I'm probably going to uh, buy it when I start seeing it get better. And, yeah... But this is this is a larger this is a larger issue that a lot of newer games, especially sequel games, are running into. Um, City Skylines Two and also Starfield, where you have a new game comes out that's trying to be better than the game that came out before it, 
but they don't have a good sense of scope. They oversell it and they come up short on features. It's it's missing a lot of things. And it's competing with a game that has been out for years that has been that has an active mod community. You know, oh, yeah. Skylines One has a huge mod community that has fixed everything from like optimization problems to uh, launch bugs. Um, all that stuff. All that stuff has been fixed by the community. And the same thing with Skyrim. And the funny thing is, is like I think it was like less than a month after Starfield came out, there were fewer players playing Starfield than were going back to playing Skyrim again because that that's what people were saying. Like Starfield made me want to play Skyrim again instead because Skyrim. Yeah. Nobody plays vanilla Skyrim. Everybody plays, you know, modded Skyrim because it's so easy to mod it. Especially I didn't like in Steam. I didn't play Starfield, but um, from what I saw of it, um, it made me think I wanted to play No Man's Sky again. Um, because, you know, it kind of tries and, to be No Man's Sky too. and it fails. Like, it, tries to, it well, tries to be, you know, a Skyrim game and No Man's Sky, but it fails miserably at the actual exploration part and the actual, well, you let's, know, exploration. Let's be fair, because yeah. No Man's... We all remember the launch of No Man's Sky, and that really should have been a lesson for the entire industry to learn, to not oversell, to not deliver early if it's not feature-ready, and the fact that Starfield did the exact same missteps is just an enormous demonstration that just the industry doesn't learn anything. Well, you know what? Yeah. If you really want to get into that, it all seems like you can... This all, to me, is giving me flashbacks of Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, hell yeah. That, that, <laughs> yeah, that, same thing. Same thing. Same exact issue. Nobody in the industry has figured out, like, you know, you don't want to oversell. I mean, maybe there, there have been companies that do, but you know what I mean? Overall, in the industry, it seems like there's quite a bit of overselling that happens and not delivering. And Cash Cyberpunk 2077 was that was an achieve game. That was a pretty oh. expensive oh, game but, to make. And by the way, one thing I'm surprised about, one thing I'm surprised about is that um, Hogwarts Legacy isn't on any nomination. Well, I I don't want to bring politics into the podcast, but I think <laughs> that that may have been a political decision at from from the awards side that that is so that. that oh that's terrible because it it is that's, it is one of the best games of the year definitely nominatable so that is just you know for it to just be about politics is just bull crap but you have to remember there's a certain like not like, not just that you bring it in you but it launched stable it's launched really stable too yeah you know? and here's uh, the thing like Will Smith could be in a really good movie, and he could be a really good actor in that movie, but he's not going to get invited back to the Oscars. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. It's it's it's, kind of it's it's not just a meritocracy. There's there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, that's just a shame. Um, it is, but, but uh, you know, that's simply the world we live in. Unfortunately, I mean, these things have to be taken into consideration because at the end of the day, you know, if something like that were to cause an issue be it no matter what side, they take all of the backlash. The Game Awards take all the backlash, and then that for some people, it's enough to say, you know what, I'm not going to participate next year. Yeah. yeah. So they're just essentially and trying when, to... And when you're, and when you're talking about, like, a multi-billion dollar industry, those are, it's a, it's a big gamble to take. And, yeah, once you get to, once you get to, once you get to billion with a B, it's all political. Unfortunately, you don't, get a, you don't get that. You don't get that rich. You don't get that kind of level of influence without having to take politics into account. It's mm -hmm. almost an impossibility. Well, anyway, we probably shouldn't go too deep into that. 
Um, yeah, no anything else you wanted to say about any of the strategy games no. on the list uh, or no. that Pikmin 4 1? I am waiting for uh, what's called Civilization 7. That's what I'm waiting for currently. Oh, has that been announced? Has it? I don't think so. I oh, think okay. it's man, I'm just I'm just vibing playing Civilization Five. You're still playing Five. <laughs> I I don't care if it's the dumbed down version. It's the kind I like. Well, yeah, me, uh, uh, I've I've sometimes been tempted to play to go back to playing Four just because it's got the most complete and unbelievably huge yeah mod community. Like um, Civilization yeah. Four has got like. This um this uh total conversion mod that makes the game like twenty times longer and more detailed. <laughs> so I get like, that. No, yeah. and I, I understand that there is a target player base for that in the same way that like Dark Souls exists because some players just can't get an erection unless the game's beating their ass with a meat tenderizer. Yeah, I feel like that's more common than you realize in the Dark Souls community. Dark Souls community. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I, I've never I've never played any of the Dark Souls games, nor have I played uh, the um, Elden Ring. Um, but I'm just I'm I'm just saying that like you know not everyone needs to get to that kind of level of depth, and I, and I think that Civilization yeah. V was a step in a good direction, even though it was definitely dumbing the game down. But like yeah. there were some people who were just like I don't want to take the time to learn all the nuance of Civilization Four. Just give me Civilization Five, where it gives me a checklist at the end of every turn to make sure I'm doing everything that I need to with all of my units, because that was such a big complaint from the previous versions. And I know that there's mods now that can make it so Civilization Four functions like that, but the fact that Civilization Five came out of the box like that demonstrated that they were learning about what it was that their user base wanted, or at least what they anticipated their user base wanted. And I would say that they probably anticipated that pretty correctly, because not everyone, like you said. There's a lot of people that don't want to put that time and effort into learning each and every single freaking nuance, dealing with each and every civilization differently. You know what I mean? Some people do just want to plug and play. Yeah, yeah. And what one of my one of my biggest this my this is just a general advice to the industry is that you have to have a good tutorial because if you're if you're competing with what's the new game this week, you need to make your game easy to learn immediately so that way people can play the game. Because if because I've played games, I, I've played uh, like demos on Steam. You know, where or, or I played a game for like a two hours or less, and if like if I'm struggling with the tutorial to just learn how to operate the game, like just get through the the interface and the menus and to do the basic functions of the game, I'm gonna put that game down and say, nope, not worth my time. If you've made it this too, if you made it overly complex and you're trying to front load too much, I'm just gonna put a wall up and say, nope, not for me, and un and return it. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say uh, that I would say that just depends what you're into really can take up i mean dude especially now you know like as you work and as you do other things it's like you know i don't want the full-time commitment of having to learn a whole new game you know sometimes yeah. i do just want to be able to jump in and have fun like one of the things i like about um uh fallen order uh Je jedi fallen order is the fact that you can go back to that game after having not played it for months and you can go into the training mode you can go straight into the training mode and relearn. You can redo the whole tutorial at any time and then jump back into your main game. So that way you know what buttons to push to do whatever combo you normally have to do because you know, that's a, that's what, that's about as close to a Souls-like as I've ever gotten. Mm. So I, I appreciate having that uh, that uh, accessibility because you want to be able to have your audience reach the maximum depth of their game. You could also look at it like games like uh, Minecraft, for example, which is super easy to just pick up right where you left off essentially yeah you know it's pretty straightforward and there's a reason why it became one of the largest games in the world i mean 
even me and my friends, we bought ourselves a, a physical server so that we can do our yearly Minecraft binge. And that typically runs about two weeks or so, but, you know, it's like two weeks of just either getting off work, coming straight home and playing Minecraft for like eight hours, eight hours straight sometimes even. So, yeah, you know, Minecraft's a game that I keep going back to on a regular occasion when I'm in the mood Minecraft, for it. Minecraft, I feel like it's it's kind of unfair to make that comparison because Minecraft is its own league. It's it, it it is the exception to every rule. It is there's something magical about it. Although I will I will counter to be fair that like when I go into playing it, like I'll go to try a sprint and I'll hold down shift to sprint, but then I got to remember, oh no, I got to double tap forward to sprint because it had that right. instead. But like riding a bike, it only takes a little while, and then just like okay, I'm hitting I'm hitting E to open up my inventory, and and then you know i'm double tapping to sprint and then once you have once you get that muscle memory back it's very easy to get back into that game mm. yeah it's it, like you said it's like riding a bike you almost never really forget yeah all right uh let's move on to all best right. family game i don't know if there's much reason to talk about this for long but disney illusion island party animals pikmin 4 sonic superstars and super mario brothers wonder I mean, with the yeah, really, that, order, we're always trying to make sure the family's having a great time. Yeah, yeah. so... <laughs> family is not... Yeah, I just live on my own, so... Yeah, that's not the kind of game for me normally. Um, but I, I did used to play a lot of uh, uh, Mario Party um, for a bit. Had a bit of a binge on that and did that through Discord. on like a Discord server that organized Mario Party games. And I, I kind of wonder... Um, yeah, I saw Party Animals come up at the awards, and I kind of wondered if that's a similar sort of game that, you know, I could get into. Yeah, more or less. Or, or maybe even our server could check out. Yeah. In, in this case, uh, the best family game, it was really just a competition between Mario Brothers Wonder or Pikmin 4, because those are both Nintendo games as opposed to the rest. I mean, Disney is trying to put up a fight, but honestly, they're they're... They're a movie-making company trying to step into the game-making arena, and they have not really demonstrated that they're equipped to be a competitor. I mean, they, they, their games are decent, you know, but they're not like you know, game of the game of the year winning awards. Yeah, they're level decent. Yet. Like uh, their Epic Mickey did pretty well, um, from what I remember. Yeah. Haven't played any of them. That I, I remember Epic Epic Mickey did well um, for its time. And, but they're uh, also had a couple into this, of good ones. Uh, in my opinion, incorrect time. They just had their fourth, I believe it was their third or fourth quarter, no, third quarter releasings. And they have been hemorrhaging money for some time. They so kind of deserve to, in my opinion, with them holding on to that. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I, I agree, but I didn't want to really take it to a political place. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying more so, like, they're, you know, looking at it purely financially, there's just a few, there's just a few, their movies haven't performed as well as they would have hoped. You know, looking at just financially, so mm. I think they have bigger issues to deal with in that turn, in that sense of getting those movies back to the positive, yeah. back to turning more of a profit. Just and, quickly, they they, they the need to stop. Um, yeah, just quickly, they need to stop uh, illegally holding on to um, intellectual property. You know, well, that's that's a whole other discussion. I mean, I agree, but yeah, yeah. Um, but if they have any, if they have any care of self-preservation as a company that they need to, they need to understand. And I think Hollywood is collectively understanding that like, if you get woke, you go broke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They've been doing way too I'm, much of that. I mean, cause the thing is there's a difference between quote unquote woke 
and having a diverse cast, you can have a diverse cast, and if the writing's good, look at Miles Morales. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was I, I personally think that was a really greatly written story, a really mm. greatly written movie. And that proves that, you know, this does work. You just have to actually have the writing to go behind it. Yeah, the writing is normally, like, force-fed to you. You know, it's, like, forced in and really obvious that it's trying to make a message. That The message yeah. well, needs to be it's... subtle, you know? Well, it needs to at least be organic because, like, if you look at a show like Game of Thrones, right. you had a ton of diversity in Game of Thrones, but it made sense. Like, you had the darker-skinned people in these southern territories where they were getting more sun, and you had the northern territories, all, all very fair-skinned people, because it was in an area that would get less sunlight. Like, it just it made geographical sense, and you could yeah. have all that diversity in your show. Whereas, like, with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, I'm sure that there were oh, seven God. little people in Hollywood who would have loved to have had those jobs. But they said, oh, no, we can't have the dwarves be played by dwarves. That would be insensitive. No, <sighs> freaking dolt. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that picture I saw of the, you know, seven new dwarves or the seven weird mix of, of what, what, what would you dwarves. call it? Yeah, not dwarves. Only one it dwarf. Okay. I'm just, I'm just saying that, like, I, I, this is like reverse cultural appropriation because, like, yeah. now you've taken this role that would have gone to. Listen, I'm sure that most little people, uh, like, have at least considered the possibility that they're probably going to have to like get a job being like an entertainer, like in Hollywood. Like, hey, there's got to be a role for that, right? You know, I, I don't know, but I feel like there was there was seven qualified little people actors who had that role taken away because Hollywood had the wrong idea of what diversity is supposed to be about. But anyways, yeah. we're way off topic now. Yep. Yep. So let's move on to best fighting game. Uh, God of rock, Mortal Kombat yep. one, Nickelodeon, all-star brawl two pocket bravery and street fighter six. Now, uh, the first one I want to talk about is, um, Nickelodeon all-star brawl two. I haven't seen anything at, anything about it i haven't played it but i have seen a lot about the first one and it was apparently like gameplay wise and technically wise um comparable to smash bros in a lot of ways you know it had good gameplay but its main problem was that they is that they seem to not have the budget to have any licensing um of actual voices so the 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 first game felt seemed re felt really soulless, um, but apparently with this new one, they've actually they've actually got the licenses and actually have voice actors um, giving more personality to the game. And they've increased I think, the caliber of their soul. Yeah, yeah, and so I think that's why Nickelodeon All Star Brawl Two is you know trending uh, quite a lot lately and is a lot more popular than the first one was. And being a lot more of a competitor to things like Smash Bros and Metaverse. I'm actually I'm actually surprised that Street Fighter Six One. I thought Mortal Kombat One was going to have it because all I've seen is just the advertisement for that. Which, mind you, half of any video game's budget, any AAA budget, goes to advertising. And it kind of makes sense when you're dealing with such high numbers. You know, I was just talking to my roommates about this the other day games kind of cost much less than they should if you put you know if you think about how much it costs to develop one yeah of that, that's why they have to keep on resorting to all these microtransaction all this microtransaction crap because they haven't really gone up in price but the cost of making them has gone up 
Right, and that's why we see a new industry standard of about seventy bucks being the being the be, now start now it's starting to go up. Yeah, but even then, it's like you still have to get most of your sales. You have to do volume, basically. But you, you have know, it's so it's not much more than when sixteen bit games were fifty dollars. You know, um, <laughs> and I actually don't remember that time. Oh, I, yeah, I do. Like I, I, from my opinion, you know, because I'm a lot older. Um, I have seen, you know, back in the 16-bit days, the, the games weren't much much less than what they are now. And um, that it was usually like a small team of 10 people was considered a pretty big game company at the time. And, um, you know, you just had 16-bit graphics, pixels, um, and... Uh, well, it's, yeah. it's a lot of things. All right, for, all right so, like, the... the it was kind of funny that the $50 video game became like the benchmark for so long. It was kind of because it was a balance of two things on the scale. Um, one, like it wasn't like that making video games got any cheaper to like counteract, counteract with um, uh, inflation. Uh, it just meant that it just meant that the, uh, the hardware uh, technology, the, the cost of the, the technology got cheaper to make games of a higher quality for essentially the same production cost as like the games of back then, because making a cartridge yeah. back then was really yeah, expensive. It, it was probably, all the parts got it might, might've been just as hard to make a quality 16 bit game back then as it is to make a triple A game now. Like, you know, because of, yeah, how, how, how far yeah. technology and, and, moved and, it, and there's also been a bunch of other trickery, but like, honestly, the, the, the means of keeping a game, $50 leading into like the early 2010s was starting to get really bad because all they were trying to make up that money on the on the back end from like microtransactions or information selling and it and it ended up leading to a lot of dirty business practices where now if we really want to pay the the sticker price for a video game without having to be dealing with any of that we need to start accepting like the $70 price tag for a AAA game as being the norm yeah, I kind of I, like. So I saw people get all like pissed off about um, Zelda going up in price, but I was like, I thought it's kind of about time. And it, I kind of think that if games were allowed to charge like a hundred to a hundred and ten, then maybe they wouldn't be so motivated to um, go down all these mobile game battle pass um, microtransaction crap that they're doing to us now in full price well, games. Um, yeah, you pay full price and then you've still got to buy a battle pass and well, and here's the thing. Here, I, I'm kind of got a foot in two camps on this because on the one hand, I do would I would prefer to just pay a, a flat price, get my game, and call it my game. Like that's why I always liked like getting the box in the store of having the physical disc and yep. hopefully having a functioning game at launch where you don't have to worry about day one DLC to fix all the shit that's wrong oh, with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's another on the trend. Other hand, yeah. But and on that... the other hand, I do like, especially with multiplayer games, um, and this, uh, and we're going to end up talking more about this with the finals, because the finals is free, but there is a battle pass that you can buy. So the game can still generate revenue without having to like shove ads down your throat. Like yeah. you don't play in you don't play in the finals and see billboards with real time ads being broadcasted the way they did with like um, the uh, first prototype FIFA game and FIFA games, you know. Yeah, like games. like it, it's it's it was wild that you could like you'd be running around New York City playing in a single player game and then you'd be getting these occasional updates so that way you'd have new ads on the bell on the billboards in the city and that was one of the ways that they generated revenue on the back end because they had to, they were trying to sell 
a $70 game for $50. And that's the reason why you ended up with things like loot boxes and microtransactions and junk like that. On the other hand, and the only thing I don't like about that was the unethical, immoral way that they were using those things. I like the idea of DLC and content that you can get a la carte. Like, yeah. if, if you really want to, if you really like right. the game and you want to play more of it, you can toss the developers an extra $20 and get this extra section of, you know, Scarlet and Violet to go to these uh, islands to go catch more Pokemon if you really want to. or But you don't have to, to be able to, you know, play the full main game. I think I think that's a great model. Like, if they want to be able to make up that extra $20 per game sale, you know, they could lean on the whales who can be spending, you know, $100 a year you know, buying the battle passes and the DLC. And if those people have the money to support the game, you know, where other people cannot, you still have more people playing it and the developers can still get the revenue that they want without having to raise the overall price of the game for everyone. Right. I think that's a good model if you use it well. It's, it's, it's a balancing act because if you raise it too high, then you're going to have, you're going to start losing player base. You're going to start having people saying, you know what? I can't justify spending say 80, $90 in a game whereas they would justify it to $70, say. And it's a balancing, act of being, a balancing act of being able to, you know, capture the most amount of people at the same time that you're making money back on the game. And it's not just, you know, that the background, uh, the background aspects of making money really did, I would argue, you're right. They would really, it did help them in a sense, keep that such low price tag for quite some time. But I think as we move forward, we're going to start seeing more and more, you know, 70 is going to become the standard, but I, I don't see it stopping there. I don't see yeah, it stopping I mean, at 70. Yeah, for if you completely eliminated loot boxes and battle passes and whatnot, all the extra revenue stream of, like, microtransactions, you're looking at, like, a regular sticker price of $90, which is going to give most people sticker shock, and then you're going to lose way more players that way. Or oh, 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 they'll um, resort to piracy. Exactly. And piracy, and I, I, I'm not trying to take it to a political stance here. This is an economic stance. Piracy is a legitimate economic force that you need to account for as a business. But, yeah. and that's it. That's, that's the whole, that's a, you can look it up that's on yourself, on your own. That's the reality of it. Um, but like, I can speak personally, there are free games that I've played like on my phone that I have spent an embarrassing amount of money on. Because in the way I justify that is I have spent so many hours playing this game that I can justify the entertainment, the, the money per entertainment hour. Like if you go to yeah. a movie, if you go to a two-hour movie, you're spending $20. That's $10 an hour yeah. for entertainment. All right. I'm, I'm just play... wondering, um, what, what is your um, mobile game uh, sin? Like, for example, mine was Forge of Empires. Person. Forge of Empires, I played for like five years straight and spent probably a total of $200 extra on um, for a free game. So it was just $200. All right. So currently, I'm playing Pokemon Go, uh-huh. uh, uh, a game called Necromerger, uh, Egg Incorporated. Wow, that's a lot, Shop- actually, <laughs> to, to keep up Shop- with that many. And Shop Titans. And, and the thing with Shop Titans, I, I have spent probably more mo- the most money on Shop Titans, and that's the game I really want to quit because, like, at this point, it has become more of like a second job. Yeah. And it, th- this is a whole other discussion, but there, there's a lot of psychology to that game that makes you keep playing long after you stop enjoying it. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm I'm a 
key player in a in the guild that I'm in, and I don't want to let my guild down because I enjoy that interaction. And you got to make sure you do and, your daily quests and um, log and in every all day. That stuff. I got to participate in the events, and so now it's like I got to scratch out. How, how do you manage that for like the four, four or five games you listed? That, that's a well, lot of time. I mean, for, for Pokemon <laughs> Go, Pokemon Go, that's 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 yeah, you, my excuse to get some exercise. You yeah. know, like that's, do on that's the way to reward. From, yeah, yeah. Uh, with Necromerger, uh, there's um, energy elements to it, so like you can only do so much before you run out of energy, which is self-limiting, unless you want to use gems, which, again, you have to spend real-world money to do, which I have not done. Um, I have spent real-world money on Necromerger, but that's for, like, permanent boosts. Um, and, like, with Egg Incorporated, I think I've... Oh, I've, yeah, I've yeah. probably spent a few, a little bit of money on that just to unlock all the uh, like. There's like a there's like a piggy bank um, element to it where like all the actions you do put money in your piggy bank, and the longer you wait, the more money you're gonna get when you crack that thing open. But you have to pay five dollars to open it. Occasionally, there'll be a super rare sale where that will be reduced. It'll be like three dollars to crack open your piggy bank. That's it, it. It doesn't happen often. I think maybe maybe a couple times a year. But when it happens, it's like oh, I can get this for three dollars, and now you've got like a hundred million gold eggs that you can use to spend as your as your premium currency okay um, um anyway um yeah uh we should probably get moving because we've still got a lot of categories to go through so that was best fighting game next we got best rpg and the candidates for that are Baldur's gate 3 final fantasy 16 lies of p sea of stars and starfield now uh, and to nobody's great surprise yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Starfield, I don't know much about. I don't want to play it. It doesn't look appealing to me. Like, I'd rather play No Man's Sky or something. Um, sea of Stars is a surprise. Um, I might want to get that. And if I do, I'll want to get it on, on the Switch so I can, like, play it in bed and stuff. But it looks like my kind of, um, you know, turn-based RPG. Uh, it looks similar to Chrono Trigger kind of gameplay. So... I'm interested in that, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, re I remember seeing the trailers for uh, Starfield, and I really wanted Starfield to be good. Like, I, I'm not a, a particularly spiritual man, but I prayed. I prayed <laughs> for it to be good. I really wanted it to be good, and oh, I was just, it just, it just, it was just a reminder that the industry doesn't learn. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, although, honestly, and as much as, as funny as it is that Baldur's Gate 3 just completely swept every category it was in, uh, I'm honestly surprised that Final Fantasy, that one, yeah, uh, I, didn't. Uh, yeah, I haven't gotten to play that. Specific, yeah, uh, I haven't gotten to play well, Final Fantasy 16 because of the stupid PlayStation exclusivity. So I've got to yeah. wait like a year before I can play it. Oh, well, that yeah. and just that Final Fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy as a series and Square Enix at large has a pretty rabid fan base. And, yeah, yeah um, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. But yeah, I can't play that one for a while yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, which sucks. But no, Baldur's Gate three won, and uh, that just became the uh, the running theme of the whole evening, watching the award ceremony. Yeah, so we can talk more about Baldur's Gate three once we get um, further in. So we might as well move on to best action slash adventure game. Uh, we've got Alan Wake 2, Marvel Spider-Man 2, Resident Evil 4, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, and The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. 
And that's the only one that I've played. I've only played Tears of the Kingdom. Um, none of those others. Uh, and I thought, you know, Tears of the Kingdom is was an amazing game, um, but it was a little too big for me because other games started coming out and I abandoned it uh, once I got three temples done and had one left. Um, did quite a lot of side content, but I probably only scratched about 30% of the game's content overall. I barely went down into the depths at all. Um, See, now with the Tears of the Kingdom, I watched gameplay of that, and it just made me want to go back and play Breath of the Wild again. And so I have to ask you, as someone who's actually played it, do you feel like it offered enough that was different and unique from the original game to justify having it be a whole other game? Oh, hell yeah. Just... Oh, hell yeah. I, yeah. I, I won't want to go back to Breath of the Wild. Like, it's that good. That much better. Well, that I'll right. go back to Breath right. of the that's Wild. A, that's a pretty strong endorsement because yeah. I've always said that with a sequel, if you're going to make a sequel to anything, whether it's a, a story, uh, a movie, or a game, especially, it needs to be different enough to stand up on its own rather than just being a continuation. Yeah, yeah, like it's an amazing game, and the experimental and physics stuff that you can do with the tools that they give you, like you can build stuff and build vehicles and. Um, Make yeah. make the game do really weird things, and there's been like all these yeah memeable shorts on YouTube about people making things happen in the game that are absolutely wild, you know. Yeah, like making mech mechs mech suits that shoot lasers and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I always love a game that embraces the the idea that there are going to be players who are going to try and use these tools to break the game and yeah. give them the tools to do exactly that. Like play the game your way, because as soon as you try to make it so they can't do that, you're just, you're interrupted. You're, you're, you're screwing up rule zero of a game. Yeah. Have fun. And I mean, they do it in a good way because, um, you know, out in the world, you can experiment in absolutely wild ways because you get all the tools that you want to get. Um, and, but then you're still limited to certain supplies within the trials so, you know, the trials can still be, you know, difficult puzzles where you have limited um, things that you can use. But e even there, um, some people have found ways to break the trials in wild ways as well. Um, because, yeah, they, they made this game where they just let you break the crap out of it if you want to. And, yeah, it, it's really entertaining for that reason mainly, you know. And the yeah, combat is solid and, yeah. Actually, I've, I've never played Zelda. The only one that I actually came close to playing was, uh, or not even came close to playing, but watching in person was um, Breath of the Wild. My uh -huh. buddy absolutely loves the Zelda games, so I was more than happy to just chill out and watch and play. Yeah, that, it, was, it was pretty interesting. But one well, thing, me, though, me, is Breath that... Breath of the Wild, for me, Breath of the Wild wasn't really a Zelda game in the classical sense, but like when, exactly. I, when I watched my girlfriend play it, I was like, okay, I have to play that game. I, I played it at her house for like three hours, and I said, okay, I have to buy a Switch now. And that was the game that sold the Switch to me. Yeah, the thing, the thing is, um, Zelda's kind of gone into a new era. Um, you know, there's the 16-bit era, um, you know, where it had a certain style to it, and then the um, N64 handheld era, where it had a very, like, s sort of uh, rote formula, where you just um, go and... Go into a dungeon, get an item that allows you to advance further in the game, and you usually have to do it in a particular order. Um, but since Breath of the Wild, they've gone into a lot more of a free roam, open world thing where it's where you don't have to go in a particular order, and you're not you know blocked off from places because you don't have certain abilities that you get out of dungeons. So 
Zelda has entered like a new era, and I think it's kind of a different cut type of game now than it was in the N sixty four era and GameCube. Um, yeah, and, and Wii, I, I it was would, still. I would say that I, I would say that when they did Breath of the Wild, they understood that because they were making it a mile wide and it was going to be an inch deep, they had to make sure that all that travel was part of the core gameplay enjoyment. Like the fact that they added, you know, climbing and having stamina to climb meant that every single thing that you climbed was its own little puzzle. Like, oh, can I make it to that ledge? Am I going to have enough mushrooms to eat while I'm climbing? And the, the actual travel itself with the atmospheric music, being able to capture and tame horses, all of that became part of the core game of just the exploration itself became a huge part of the game focus. And mm. that's that's how you do it with an open world game. Yeah. Uh, so do you have anything to say about any of those other games? Uh, I never even played the original Resident Evil 4. Um, Star uh, Wars, I, I tend to avoid Star Wars games, as you know. I'm just not well, interested in Well, with Jedi that Survivor, like, I, was, I was looking forward to, to Jedi Survivor, um, but given yeah. the, uh, the, the mixed uh, reception that it had gotten... Mostly for uh, performance and- issues, I heard. Um, like the gameplay well, yeah, was good, and, but it was performance issues that were making yeah. the reviews mixed. And I'll I'll take a risk on a mixed review game if the price tag is like an indie game level type deal. I'll I'll give it I'll give it the uh, that benefit of the doubt. But when you're talking about a AAA price tag, it's got to be good. Like I got to hear mm. that it's good from my peers. I don't want to hear about it from the the professional reviewers where their job is on the line if they don't give it a good review. You know, so like. Whenever, whenever, like Scarlet, for example, will will promote a game to me, he's got no no skin in the game to to tell me that it's a good game or not. You know, if it's a good game, he'll tell me. If it's not, he'll tell me, and I I trust that. You know, and that's that. And the the game publishers need to understand that they can't buy publicity anymore because you're going to have the players who are going to play it. And they're going to respond in real time and tell everyone, hey, by the way, this game is full of bugs. Avoid it like the plague, and it's not going to sell. They need to make sure they have a finished product on launch day. Yep. All right. Should we move on to best action game? Let's do it. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Armored Core 6, Fires of Rubicon. There's that subtitle thing that you were complaining about earlier, Shakes. (laughs) Uh, Dead Island 2, Ghost Runner 2, Hi-Fi Rush, and Remnant 2. Um, now, uh, I haven't played any of those. Um, I was tempted to try Hi-Fi Rush because it looks so original. I do um, recommend it. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I, I really enjoyed Armored Core, um, way back in the PlayStation days. I remembered playing it. Um, but that's really about all I know about it. Like, I think that was like Armored Core 3 or 2 or something. Yeah, I I played Dead Island 1 and I was just thoroughly disappointed with it. Like I really felt like it was an overly complicated, underwhelming version of Borderlands. Right. Um but I do respect that Dead Island 2, Ghost Runner 2 and Remnant 2 just all have the respect to just put a 2 on the end of their story <laughs> the game title and just call it a sequel like a friggin' professional rather than everyone else who has to use, you know, these, this, this mess of colons and subtitles and, and all electric sort of boogaloo too. And I just, but I really, I'm disappointed Rambo that Hi-Fi Rush part one. I'm disappointed that Hi-Fi Rush didn't win, you know, uh, because it's like, it's like 
the best way to incorporate a rhythm-based game into a capital G game. So it's not just it's not just Dance Dance Revolution. It's not Guitar Hero. It's a game, but it's rhythm-based. Like um, uh, Tomb of the Necro Dancer uh, is another Crypt great example. Crypt of the Necro Dancer, it's called. Yes, thank you, thank you. Crypt of the Necro Dancer, um, where it's a rhythm-based you know game, but it's still a game. Or yeah. um, uh, Bullets Per Minute, BPM. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen gameplay of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I've tried playing that. Some people love it. I I couldn't really get into it, but like Hi-Fi Rush is really a great example of how you do a rhythm based game correctly and make it a game more than just, you know, matching colors. Yeah. You got anything to say, Cash? Too. Not quite. I don't have experience with any of these games if I'm being honest. A little bit of Dead Island One because I did watch some gameplay of it, and I watched a little bit of the uh, background and whatnot, but I didn't actually have too much experience. Like, for example, this is the first I'm hearing of Hi-Fi Rush, and it seems like something I'm going to have to check out later. Yeah, get it. Yeah, it it looks cool, but, yeah, so many other games are coming out now that it it feels old now. It feels like old news, and, you know, there's more newer games that I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, It feels like it's been a long year, huh? Yeah. Uh, All right. I, I think after the um the uh, after COVID, basically all the games that they were working on and were delaying during COVID have all come out at once now. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of feels like that. It's been like a shotgun of that. Yeah. So now we got Anyways. best VR AR game. I don't know I don't why have a VR headset. Yeah, I, no, I don't. So I don't know. Yeah, I've I never know. experienced VR yet. Um, I mean, I, I've done it. I've gone to like, I've gone to uh, events where they were showcasing them. Um, yeah. I would like to get a MetaQuest Three. I was gonna, I was thinking about getting one for Christmas. Um, I, I'm um, not sure why they attached AR to that. I, I consider an AR game something like Pokemon Go. So I'm not sure why that's there. But anyway, well, the it's, nominees are uh, Grand Turismo Seven, uh, Humanity, Horizons: Call of the Mountain, uh, Resident Evil Village VR mode, and Synapse. Don't really know yeah, about any of those. Yeah, not really quite myself either. But because I do have a, I do have a VR headset. I believe I have a Quest Two. And I gotta say, one of the things that I really do like about, like for example, a VR genre, is the immersibility. I played. Uh, it was Star Wars. I forgot which Star Wars it was. It was the one where you're able to control a, a, one of the one of the flyers, and it was freaking amazing. I must say, it. Wait, 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 what, 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 like a vehicle? Yeah, it was, um, goodness gracious, I can't quite remember which Star Wars it was. You were basically, yeah, you were, you were fighting, you are either in the Resistance or you were part of the Empire. Oh, Squadron. Yes, Squadrons. Yeah, Squadrons. Okay, so I think, all right, so here, like, a lot of people complain about the VR, like, I haven't, I haven't played it, I don't own one, but I've, I have used it. And one of the things that people complain about is the motion sickness. And that's when, like, you're playing as, like, a, a person walking around in first-person mode. And we don't have one of those omni-tracks, like, freaking Ready Player One, where you can walk in any direction. Like, we're limited to the space we have inside of our room. Yeah. Um, but I think that VR is very well-suited for vehicle games, where you're in the cockpit of something. Great. So, like, if you were playing... Um, uh, 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 no, uh, Ice Combat, Edison, for example. Really, that's that, that, I'll stop trying to think. Uh, Elite Dangerous, for example, where you like right. for, for a long time in that game, you could never leave your cockpit, you were always in your ship. It's great for that because you have the frame of the ship around you to give you that frame of reference, and you can just play in your seat and you can just use your keyboard or your your um control pad or whatever you're using 
So that's I, why I really think that that's yeah. a great game. Those are great games for something like that. Like anything where you're in a vehicle, like which is why I'm surprised that Gran Turismo Seven didn't win. First of all, Gran Turismo is a really popular series, and having that for a VR headset sounds really good. If you've got like the uh, steering wheel uh, peripherals. Oh yeah, I think that would be amazing. That mm. would be amazing until you crash. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I haven't played Gran Turismo since uh, the PlayStation days, PlayStation One. Uh, yeah. I enjoyed it quite a lot then, but there's games that I think, interest me a lot more now. But and this kind of comes back to what I was saying before about games that are streamable, because like if you can stream yourself playing Resident Evil, you know, where you're like you're using like the melee weapons and you see the wacky things that the hands are doing on the screen with like a knife and then you like get somebody stuck to a wall using the physics. It's funny, you know, it's that's or like you throw a knife up at the ceiling and then up oh, now it's stuck there, and now you can you you're trying to jump but your character can't jump. Yeah. All right, shall we move on to best mobile game? Yeah, what do we got? Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis, Honkai Star Rail, Hello Kitty Island Adventure, Monster Hunter Now, and Terra Nil. Now, I have a lot to say about Monster Hunter Now because I've been playing it like three times a day. I've been going for a walk and going out and hunting monsters. Uh, I think it's a really good game. Um, it, it's, it's a it feels a little bit feature poor compared to pokemon go like uh, i actually i actually re-downloaded pokemon go after i got monster hunter now and i just found it overwhelming um with like just how much there is in pokemon go uh monster hunter what now is... is starting off at a bit more of a modest um framework and the the day after the game awards or the same day um they released an expansion which added some new monsters and weapons to the game yeah. Um, well, and... this, this, this comes back to what I was saying before about how Starfield launched with being very feature poor because it's got to compete with these veteran games that have been out for a long time. Even by the yeah. same developer, they've had a lot of work put into them. Like Pokemon Go. When it, when Pokemon Go first came out, yeah, that first summer was magical because we were all outside hanging out with each other. It was a social experience. as close yeah. as we ever got to World And it started off with just the came... first 150, 150 Pokemon. Um it, it was. It wasn't just that. The, it was just the first 151 Pokemon. First of all, the legendary birds weren't there, so it was. Uh, so you you were down. Uh, you didn't have Mew. You didn't have Mewtwo, and you didn't have the three legendary birds. So you're you're down five. Um, it wasn't just that, but it was the fact that like there was l very little to do in the game. Like they like a lot of Pokestops didn't exist, so it was very sparse. Uh, the way that you were tracking Pokemon was weird. Uh, you had to do the footsteps, which I I kind of miss. The footsteps mechanics but just being able to go to a particular pokestop now and be at least within you know a range of whatever it is you're tracking is a lot better yeah. uh, i mean yeah. I, I do i do have some criticisms but the point is that it's had years of development to yeah. get to where it is now based on user feedback and and experience and monster hunter now even if it uses the same framework and just put a different coat of paint on it, they're still kind of starting from scratch in terms yeah, of like the um, community. Well, one thing that I, I appreciate about Monster Hunter now is that it's a bit more that there's a there's a bit more of a limit to how much you can play it, which is kind of good in my opinion because in Pokemon Go you can just um, stand by a place with three poker stops and you can spin them all and you only have to wait five minutes for them to be spinnable again. Um, in Monster Hunter now, you're looking at about three hours before um, stops become available again. And the stops are oh, basically yeah. mining nodes. There's either mining nodes, um, uh, plants that you can um, uh, forage, or uh, the other one is, um, yeah, uh, 
monster bones, corpses that you can. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, yeah, because like I had the same situation. Like when I play Pokemon Go, I play downtown. There's like eight Pokestops that I kind of do a cycle through. Because by yeah. the time I get back to that first one, it's already respawned, and I can just keep hitting it up again. Yeah. Um, I, I'm surprised. Po- I'm actually surprised Monster Hunter now didn't win. Although, if I had my choice, I definitely would have nominated Terra Nil because I think that game deserves a lot more attention. Yeah, I've seen a little bit about it. I haven't, yeah, played it. Um, I've only seen some screenshots, I think. I, I do believe that Terra Nil has a free demo on Steam. Right, so, so is, it, is it a pay-to-play um, no, mobile no, game? No, the, the, uh, the mobile game isn't. I don't believe it is. Right. I see Terra Nil. Yeah. It, there is a PC version. It's about 17 bucks right now, 30% off. Twenty four ninety nine normally. Oh, um, what another thing that um in Monster Hunter now is that I haven't seen much monetization in it except for more inventory space, and there's this weird thing where you can buy gems, which allows you to like you know get a get a healing potion when you die and instantly and stuff. Um, I haven't spent any money on the game yet. The only thing I've been tempted to do is maybe some inventory space for like two dollars, because I keep having to throw out materials. Um you know, to make room for new ones. Um, yeah. But oddly, in their shop, that you can buy these gems, but each each package is one time only. So you can buy the, you know, 200 gem package one time, and you can buy the um, $150, you know, 3,000 gem package one time. But I think apparently if you buy all of them, you can't give the game any more money, which is kind of strange. That is kind of strange. Like, I mean, I... I know a lot of people will criticize it, but I do like the way that Pokemon Go monetizes its game because you do not have to spend any money to play all the content in Pokemon Go because they have ways of earning coins in-game. It's not easy, but it's just time-consuming. And if you're a kid and you've got lots of time, then you can spend the time to earn the coins. And if you're an adult and you don't have much time, your time is worth more. You have the money to just buy the coins if you choose to. Um, I haven't spent a lot of money on Pokemon Go, but I know I have spent some money. And it was just cases where it's like there was a particular raid going on and there was something really important I wanted to part. Oh, a lot, a lot of the uh, the community day passes, you know, where it's like a, a dollar or two dollar for a day pass for a particular event that's happening that I want to participate in. And yeah, I mean, it's not hard for me to say yes to tossing a couple of dollars to get some extra uh, interaction out of a, a community day event that I actually care about, you know. Uh, and and then it just comes back to me saying, you know, like that's that's how I think you should monetize a game if you want to make it free to play so that everyone can participate in it. So you have lots of player base, but that way you can have the people who have the money, the disposable income to give it to you, they can be the ones to monetarily back your game. Yeah. So uh, what do you guys think of the winner, which I've never heard of before, Honkai Star Rail? What is that? I haven't heard of that one. Hmm. I haven't heard of that one. Well, I guess that's all we have to say about that then. That's uh, all I gotta say about that. Next, we have if best anybody... debut indie. Sorry, did you want to say something, Cash? The one thing I want to say: Hello Kitty Island Adventure. First thing I think about when I think about that is the uh, South Park World of Warcraft episode. Butter. Ha. Ha. Really? I wish I was playing Hello. Yeah, oh, hell yeah, that's that's one of. The I you know what? Ones. For me, oh, I yeah. immediately think of um um, what the heck is it? Animal Crossing. Right. Oh, really. 
I just I, I I am envisioning an Animal Crossing clone. I have no idea. I could be completely wrong, but that's yeah. just what I, that's where my head goes. Yep, I have uh, no what idea best... what it is. All right, best debut indie game. Yeah. yeah, we got Cocoon, Dredge, Pizza Tower, Venba, and Viewfinder. Um, all right. Now, of all these, I really thought Viewfinder was going to win. I hoped that Dredge was going to win, but my guilty pleasure was I really wanted Pizza Tower to win, just for the memes. Yeah, that, that's a very odd-looking game. I haven't played it myself. I haven't played any of these games. Um, yeah. Oh, you should definitely play Dredge. Viewfinder, too. Like, Viewfinder, like, Viewfinder is like a portal, like... Like, remember when Portal came out and everyone just had their minds blown by, like, oh my god, this yeah. game is so mind melting with this new gameplay mechanic? Viewfinder is like that. Viewfinder is like the portal of the year, right? Yeah, I don't know so, anything about it. Yeah, no, definitely make make Viewfinder put put it on your radar. And if you got some, if you but if you got a, a less of a budget, <clears throat> Dredge. For uh, Dave the Diver, because they've got the Dredge crossover DLC. Yeah, I I've been looking at Dave the Diver. That does look interesting. Um, so it's, anyway, the it, winner was Cocoon. Um, and I have oh, no, I, I don't know anything about that game. I'm looking at Viewfinder right now. I'm looking, first thing I see is the first video was, this game blew my mind. But I'm looking at the trailer now, and that, that was a very interesting mechanic. I see what you mean now by... This kind of changes things. I was not expecting that at all. Uh, it really did you want to maybe show what? it on the screen? or? All right, all right, yeah. So within the first 10 seconds, this thing really does kind of change your perspective of, of what it is. I don't know if you guys can see it. All right, yeah, there it is. So this, is, this right here is what surprised the heck out of me. I did not expect this at all. Look at this. What the? Yeah. The, right. What I love about right. Viewfinder is it really utilizes what a video game can do because a video game can do things that are physically impossible, you know? Ah. And that's what Viewfinder is all about. It's like you, with, with Portal, you were jumping through portals in the same physical space that you were in. And with a game like Super Liminal, again, it really for that that whole like idea of like perspective and 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 where your point of view is. And yeah. Viewfinder it, definitely it, looks very creative. Thing. Yeah, yeah, very creative-looking game. I, I highly recommend it. Cool. Yeah, I think that's something that I'll have to. I'm going to keep on my radar because this is interesting. This is something yeah. I wasn't expecting at all. Within the first ten seconds, it, it surprised the hell out of me. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the sort of thing you you want to dedicate your time to, and especially because you're you're going to be supporting a, an indie game. You know, like. That's the, that's the studio, that's the kind of creative thinking in a studio that you want to financially support and flourish. Yep, yep exactly. And speaking of indie games, oh, sorry. Oh, that was debut indie game, and now we've got a category for best independent game. And Cocoon is on that again. Dave the Diver, Dredge, Sea of Stars, and Viewfinder. So these are very two very similar lists. And okay, so... It has a right, different so winner. <laughs> See okay, style. So, so, well, the difference being that uh, the best independent game is just the best indie game out there. 
Whereas the best debut indie game is the best indie game that is the first game made by those particular studios. Right. Okay. That's their debut game. That's the difference. Now, so yes, yeah, so the lists are very similar, but the the, the difference is important. Yeah. Because the best independent game is could be games that could be more, not just the first game by these studios. So they should have some experience under their belt. Uh, and in which case, Sea uh, of Stars winning still uh, was a complete shock to me. Yep. That's why um, I've got my eye on that for the Nintendo Switch. Might buy that soon. I um, am going to have to check out the Stars because it's popped up more than a few times now. Yeah, and it looks I like Chrono out. Trigger, one of my favorite RPGs ever. It's similar gameplay, so yeah, I'm interested. So um, best community yeah. support. Yep, so we got Baldur's Gate 3, Cyberpunk 2077, Destiny 2, Final Fantasy fourteen and No Man's Sky. So I'm guessing this is about... Um... It's like I, the Labor of Love Award. Yeah. Um, were, were all these games sort of like um, funded by a... Like, go fund no, 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 no. It, it, it's like, it's no. like, hey, our, ga our game came out yeah. looking like garbage. Yeah. And we all... We stuck around to make it better, which is why Cyberpunk is on here. No but why, why is Baldur's Gate... Well, I guess Baldur's Gate 3 might be on there because they went into early access very early, um, you know. Uh, I guess yeah, that's the and reason they did. They, they did extensive beta testing. They had really they had a really great community manager who interacted with the yeah. people who were testing the game. They listened to the feedback. They integrated a lot of suggestions before they finally did the actual release. And yeah. it's the reason why the game came out as good as it did. Yeah. It's because they listened to the players. So, like, a lot and of these are redemption stories because Final Fantasy XIV um, was absolutely shit when it came out and actually had to be relaunched with a subtitle. Um, a Realm Reborn. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, they probably should have a Realm yeah. Reborn there because technically Final Fantasy XIV is a different game to XIV, yeah. a Realm Reborn. And, and like, and like with No Man's Sky and Cyberpunk, like those are those are the stuff of legends in terms yeah. of how how hard they had to come back from. Yeah, they had launched terribly, and um, their their redemption stories. Um, and they deserve credit for how they didn't give up. Yeah, credit where it's due, because they could have just taken those initial launch sales and just said, all right, screw yeah. it, we, we launched a crap game, we got our money, and the heck with the rest of you. And but what's no, even more surprising, like... what's even more surprising is that they didn't put in a bunch of microtransaction crap either. <laughs> so... All right. I know, the bar is set really low, but yes, yes yeah. credit where it's due. They, all of them, they were all great nominees. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, Baldur's Gate three won, um, probably because uh, it, it was it was being supported. Every category, yeah, yeah. but it it, it, um, it it started off very early um, with you know a huge amount of community support. I guess yes. The, the difference right the difference with Baldur's Gate three is that their, their the difference is that their community support was proactive rather than retroactive, and that, I think that's why they won. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. Now we got uh, oh best on th th this one. I had a bit of a reaction to best ongoing game: uh, Apex Legends, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, Final Fantasy fourteen, Fortnite, and Genshin Impact. Um, yeah, and these are all games as a service, except for Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. That's not a game as a service, so it's, I'm not uh, sure yeah, why it's, it's in this category. <laughs> yeah, let alone being the winner of it. 
Yeah. And any one of these other ones, I would have expected to win like, at all. Uh, Fortnite, I would have expected to win. Uh, maybe Fortnite. Yeah, just from sure. Just from sheer popularity alone, yeah. but uh, yeah, uh, Cyberpunk winning this one was just a straight up fluke. I have no idea where that came from. Yeah, because it's a full game. price game with a full price DLC, um, no microtransactions. So it's not like it's got an ongoing um, revenue like these other games do. So yeah, I, I don't know why it belongs there. It's weird. Um, out of everything I do, I, I I do feel like either Apex or Fortnite could have taken this uh, category. Mm. Cyberpunk 2077 doesn't quite to me. It doesn't quite seem like it. I agree with you guys. I don't think it quite fits in this in this category. Yeah, yeah. definitely not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, even Genshin Impact. Uh, that's a mobile uh, game. Oh, speaking speaking of Impact. Yeah. Games for impact. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, space chimps. I don't see space chimps on here. That's okay. a big impact. So we got a space for the unbound, chance of Semnar, goodbye volcano high, Tishaya, or however you pronounce that, Terra Nil, and Venbar. And you know what? I, I'm not sure what theme of this category is games for impact uh but i think, I think it's, the only game i recognize on here is terra nil yeah i think i think it's meant to be games that caused world peace or you know all our problems to be solved oh uh, yeah game, games for a cause i get it yeah the something like that, that make save the world are the games that make you feel like you saved the world yeah yeah so i haven't played any of them um all right and... well let's just we can skip that then. yeah uh innovation and accessibility uh yeah so we got diablo 4 forza motorsport hi-fi rush marvel spider-man 2 Mortal Kombat 1 street fighter 6 uh i don't know what is this like um having the uh color blindness um options I was gonna say, like, I know Hi-Fi Rush has a very, uh, a very good uh, ha a colorblind mode. Mm. Uh, beyond that, I think it's more about like having different controls. Like For Forza Motorsports uh, has a highly customizable uh, peripheral settings. Yeah. So like, you can make, you can make it so you can play, you can play that game with a bunch of blow tubes. If you're like a, para a quadriplegic and you can just use your mouth to play that game, you could still do it. Like there was a whole bit on that, which is probably why that won. Okay. Um, but like Mortal Kombat One, Street Fighter Six, those have those both have the arcade uh, controller ad adaptability. Um, yeah. Beyond that, yeah, that's that's really it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. That is a little impressive. The fact that Forza was able to make something that you can basically control with blow tubes. Yeah, I, yeah I've always really found it interesting. interesting. Um, like interesting that if you're a rich cunt enough, you can uh, you, uh, get all, get that whole set of like driving um, controllers of like a wheel and pedals and um, yep. yeah, that that seems like it would be interesting to experience. I, oh, you you want to you want to talk about the ultimate rich cunt thing? There was a guy <laughs> who took his actual Lamborghini and he integrated into his actual Lamborghini controls in his vehicle the steering wheel and the and the pedals. And he connected those to his video game, and he put his um, like ninety-inch flat screen in front of his car in his garage. Nice. So he could play racing games while sitting in his actual Lamborghini. 
<laughs> that that is pretty cool. That's how deep that yeah. iceberg goes. Yeah. That is um, awesome. So as we get into the later categories, we're, we're mostly dealing with like people rather than games. So we've got like the best performance, which of course was Neil Newborn in Baldur's Gate Three. Uh, best audio design was just by a particular uh, studio. I mean, obviously, Hi-Fi Rush won that one because it's a rhythm-based yeah. game. Just, just, just quickly, just... Uh, actually, yeah. I'll, I'll save it for later. Yeah, yeah. we can, we should um, go forward a bit. Best score yeah, and music. I just, yeah, and and like Hi-Fi Rush, obviously, as a rhythm-based game, it had just an amazing soundtrack. Which again, I can I can just hi, just I can promote Hi-Fi Rush all night. Great game, definitely play it. Uh, best score and music, of course, it was a Nintendo game. Of course, it was a Final Fantasy game. Uh, they've always had a great soundtrack, you know, despite all my other criticisms of the game themselves. Yeah. Uh, best art direction. I mean, this is where we start getting into like the artsy fartsy part of it, where it's like, oh, what is the message behind the artist's meaning in this cinematography? And yes, Alan Wake was kind of up its own ass a bit, but it definitely was doing I, that. I know almost nothing about Alan Wake. Um, it just looks like a that, generic action game to me, but maybe. Oh know, no, it's, a bit it's of a not even an view. action game. It's oh, it's that's the thing. When you start getting to like these ones that are like, it's the difference between it's the between going to a movie that's trying to get a, the most sales, the most ticket sales for the year, for like a big blockbuster for the summer, versus like those November December releases where it's Oscar bait. They're very different movies. You go to see Jaws because you want. And you know you want to just have a, a nice simple movie. You can get a bag of popcorn and just enjoy the movie. Whereas you go to see Schindler's List because it's Oscar bait and it's deep and there's a message and it's artsy and like oh they're using spot color. It's it's different. And so like with with Alan Wake, Alan Wake is very much the Oscar bait of video games. Yeah, I noticed that it's there on best narrative, which is uh, interesting because uh, Baldur's Gate Three is there, which I think had an amazing narrative, but Hmm. Maybe not as good as Alan Wake yeah. too. Oh, I would never best know. narrative was the big upset. Best best narrative was the big upset because everyone thought that Baldur's Gate was definitely going to win that one, mm. and the fact that Alan Wake took it was the one thing I think that kept Baldur's Gate from sweeping the win of every category it was nominated in. Yeah. So, like, I I don't know anything about Alan Wake too. Um, I just know that Baldur's Gate three has got so much story in it that I've probably only seen twenty five percent of the dialogue. In in one whole playthrough, oh, but <laughs> because there's so but, many different. I, I don't narratives. care how many hours you think you've gotten that game, but 25 percent is definitely highballing it for yourself. You've probably <laughs> seen closer to like 10 percent. Oh, you think so? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, there's all the uh, dialogue options that I didn't pick. You know. Um, yeah, there is reactions to that, and there, there's there are so much so many voices. Of dialogue. Yeah. Are, every time you make a choice, especially in the early game, there are entire trees of dialogue that you cut off by making a particular choice in the early game. But anyway, and, we we and, can get back to that because we're almost there to when we actually yep. talk about the game of the year. Um, best adaptation. What does that mean? So we got. Yeah, that's a. An excellent question. Castlevania Nocturne, Gran Turismo, The Last of Us, The Super Mario. Oh, this is they. Oh, these are yeah, TV shows, and movies. Um, yeah, I saw the Mario Bros. movie in the cinema. First time I've seen a movie in the cinema since the My Little Pony movie. That's yeah. How long ago I've been to the cinema since I went and saw Super Mario Bros. movie. Um, and I watched uh, Twisted Metal. Um, 
on Netflix, I think it was. Oh, no, it was on Stan. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. It was awesome. It really, um, it, it really brought back a lot of nostalgia from way back when I was playing Twisted Metal on the original PlayStation with, um, with my family members. Um, yeah, Br brilliant show. I really enjoy Twisted Metal. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of lot more story to it. Um, like there's a lot of story to it. And it's only in the last two episodes that it actually involves an actual match of Twisted Metal where all the cars are driving around attacking each other. So you get a lot more characterization early in the show. Um, and yeah, Super Mario Bros. movie was was fun. Um, it, it wasn't didn't take any risks really, other than have uh, Peach be independent and a strong woman, which you know some oh, people might have. Breaking in the yeah. current year. So some people <laughs> might have issue with with that lately. <laughs> yeah, you know no, I didn't. I didn't have an issue with that. What I what I had an issue with is the fact that they went with Chris Pratt as the voice of Mario, and I get it. He's like Mister Hollywood right now. He's like the yeah. name that everyone wants to use. But honestly, the guy who does the voice of Mario loves doing the voice of mario he'll if you've met him on the street and you ask hey do a mario impression he loves doing it so he's like the, the kind of like the voice actor who does the voice of spongebob mm. he loves doing the voice of spongebob he'll do it for you for free and right. they could have they could have gotten this guy to do the actual voice of mario from the mario 64 games like it's a big dog. Yeah. and he would have done it for peanuts and they paid mm. top dollar for the name for chris pratt yeah, to, yeah. To, to that's probably why mario. and it just yeah, and they, yeah, that's what it is. And then they end up alienating half of their fan base. Well, I, I did like that um, it didn't turn into, you know, an Italian stereotype, you know. Like, um, the, Chris Pratt Which didn't one? have to pretend to be an Italian, except for at the very start when they had that parody ad. Uh, yeah, and that, that, I think that was just such a cop-out. Like, like, look it, um, if you're going to have a bit, commit to the bit. Um, but, you don't have to commit. To, you don't have to commit to the bad <laughs> stereotypes. Like Mario doesn't have to slap his wife around because that's what the Italianos do. No, you, you don't. You don't reinforce the negative ones. You you can enforce. You can reinforce the the fun ones, and like it's only going to be mildly offensive. But that's how yeah. comedy works. If if something for something to be funny, someone has to take the fall. Mm -hmm. That's the butt of the, That's why. That's what it means to be the butt of the joke. Yeah, um, and I'll I, tell you what. Like, well, so, go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see that Gran Turismo's here. I didn't know there was a show about that, um, but it sounds like it could be interesting to watch. Yeah, the, 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 the movies are very fast and furious. <laughs> it's not lit. Oh. <laughs> it's... oh, it's a movie about cars going fast. So, oh, yeah, we've already had those. Yeah, so it's just another Fast and Furious, probably. <laughs> For me, I'm I'm actually kind of interested in seeing that twisted metal adaptation through Peacock, mm -hmm. because I remember, like you'd mentioned, I remember being younger and playing uh, twisted metal on the original PlayStation, and yeah. then as I got older, I played it on the uh, PSP for a little bit. Yeah, and I don't, I'm sure there's more adaptations now, but that's still the one things that always, uh, you know, stuck with me. Those those uh, those good old days playing PlayStation One, you know. Yeah, playing... like Twisted Metal Eight was just such a great party game. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing about when I watched Twisted Metal was that it happened to be during a rare time when my mum was visiting and we, we watched it together in my, in my place. Um, um, and one of the things that uh, is interesting about that is that it was my uncle that I was playing a lot of video games with back in the day 
um, and Twisted Metal was one that we played a lot. Um, but he unfortunately died when I was a teenager. Uh, so yeah, there, there was a lot of nostalgia of, uh, you know, watching Twisted Metal with my mum. You know, um, my uncle was her brother. Um, and obviously she was devastated when he died as well. Um, and yeah, it, it had a lot of emotional, um, sort of connection for me because of that as well. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, it being sort of a family, family memory. Like, now, uh, for for best game direction, it doesn't really spawn a whole lot of uh, discussion. It's just, it's I'm just not, not even sure like, how they quantify that. Well, yeah, well, again, it was another upset where Alan Wake Two beat out Baldur's Gate Three. Um, I just really wish that there would be any game on the on this particular list that wasn't a sequel because they're all sequels. I mean, mm. Super Mario's Super Mario Brothers Wonder is just part of a series and. Same with Legends of Zelda, but like Baldur's Gate three and Alan Wake two. Yeah, I mean, as much as I love Baldur's Gate three, it, it, it is a sequel. You know, it's part of a series. Yeah, it, it's ve- it's more it's more like a um like it's set in the D and D world, but um it's a its gameplay is like Divinity, so yeah. And, and and again, this is why I really loved like best indie debut because those were very clearly the first games of. Of, of, if they're ever going to have a sequel, like they, they are the first ones, especially the first ones by a first indi- uh, a, a new studio, and that's where you see the real innovation. Like that's that's where I see things like Viewfinder, where you get these really innovative gameplay mechanics. That's where the evolution of the industry happens. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I heard a, I heard a lot of people say that this uh, Super Mario Brothers Wonder, like um, the two D Mario games, were, were getting really stale. Um, you know, ever since New Super Mario Bros and, you know, launched off from that of, you know, whatever. And apparently a lot of people are saying that Mario Bros Wonder is one that's finally brought a lot of fresh ideas into the 2D Mario Bros genre. Um, That's just what I've heard. I haven't played it myself. I probably never will. I'm waiting for the next, uh, you know, Mario Galaxy style game or, you know, Mario 64 that, that's yeah. What, well, that's I mean, everyone everyone looks back at like you know like Super Mario World on the on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System as being like the peak of like two D Mario for that particular generation until you went to like Nintendo sixty four and then now you're in, in three dimensions and then you get to like you know the 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 Wii and the Switch and I would I would say that that three dimensional Mario era peaked with Mario Galaxy. Uh, just because that was when you had the most like level-based platforming puzzles, without too much garbage cluttering it up, uh, the way that the later games kind of did with like uh, Odyssey and whatnot, uh, with with it just being about gimmicks instead. And I think that when you had like Super Mario Brothers Wii, where it was like a two and a half D game, and you're you know again like you're you're kind of in the two D platformer with the three D graphics. Uh, the only thing that the Super Mario Brothers we introduced was the ability to play multiplayer 2D platforming, which I love to call asshole Mario because usually <laughs> it was the other players who were getting you killed. I mean, you're not exactly wrong there. I, I vividly have uh, memories of, you know, it'd be like four of us were trying to run across and you just jump on somebody else's head and launch them right into the right into like a pit in the ground, basically. Right in the lava every time. Yeah pretty much and you're like bro no 
But you know that adds, I mean that that kind of adds to the fun in it. If I'm being completely honest, it was it was chaos. Really no, was. no, that was absolutely it, and that's why I that's why I, I just embrace the chaos of multiplayer most times now. Like and like again, like playing a game like the finals or you know a game like uh, Baldur's Gate three, where you just kind of have to abandon like any semblance of this plan going to course. You just have to embrace the chaos. Like everything's gonna go wrong, and we're just gonna see how we deal with it, or we're all gonna die. <laughs> I mean, that's really it those are your options like for, it's going to be chaotic you just got to deal with it or die and try again actually it's funny because that i was thinking about it for a second um in the hunt showdown there's actually a character that launches like it's basically bees just come after you but holy crap i'm just gonna let you guys talk for a bit and i'm gonna get fill up my drink um all right and then we'll get to best game of the year like as soon Back as that, soon. as soon as that, gets you know scared or scared as spook it's like the witch in uh in left 4 dead 2 you know it just everyone just panics for a second it's all it's chaos yeah and then like it's just whoever she's going after now they're gonna die you gotta accept that they're gonna die and the rest of you all have this one chance to just unlaunch as much ammo as you can and then go find that person in the closet like all right everything just went tits up now you gotta deal with it yeah pretty much and that part of it really does add to the the should I say I want to say immersion, but also it's just you know the the funness of it. The, the, well, yeah, it, it, what it does is it, because like you could have you could have a strategy from moment to moment of like, hey, you're watching out for the specials, you're dealing with the horde, you're on crowd control or whatever, you know, and you're the one looking around for for pickups, and then a witch comes along, all of a sudden a wrench gets thrown into all that, everyone scatters, it's chaos, and then someone dies, and now you gotta go find someone in a closet or a, a, a locker or whatever, and it mixes it up. And that was that was what made, that was one of the many, many things that made Left 4 Dead so genius, is the way that they would mix up your strategy. As soon as you have a strategy that works, it throws a wrench in it. It always finds a way. Okay, you know, your gameplay is never gonna be... You can play the same level a hundred times and it's gonna be different every time because of that yep it's it, well i mean it's just like when they would toss in a uh one of the tanks one of the tanks that are running in there out of nowhere it's kind of similar to that you know it's just you don't know exactly how the the game is going to screw you over but you just know at some point you something's going to come after you and something's going to yeah. come after you that's a complete and total wrench in the plan you don't know how it's going to do it but you know it's going to do it so you just need to have that that toolkit that mental toolkit to improvise and those are those are the players that will thrive actually it's funny because i was you know going back to hunt for a little bit there was this one you know how you run around finding clues well they have a similar boss or a similar enemy to like a tank although this one is blind so it can't really see it goes off these little leeches that it poops out but my buddy just jumps down right next to one, you know, trying to be all Batman and trying to be all, you know, silent. And he turns around, there's one, like, basically grabbing him up the backside because he didn't realize, like, oh, crap, there was two of these fuckers. And that just completely just threw off the the entire rest of that round because it was like, oh, man, now I have to deal with this. Essentially, it took up, like, 30 minutes of time trying to get him back up. And by the time we even did, like, he had no health. There was no, like, there was maybe one boss left, and I had taken damage myself, so in reality, it was like, we're basically now fighting, fighting as cripples. At the end yeah. of the day, you know, that was kind of the situation we found ourselves in, and somehow we still managed to make some cash out of it, but... Yeah, I mean, assuming we all don't die to Skynet, mm -hmm. 
you know, destroying the world. I am actually genuinely looking forward to seeing what AI can do in the video game arena for things like that, where, like, like for example, the AI, the way that works in, like, Alien Isolation, where it learns how you deal with threats in certain ways, and then it, it works to undermine that. So I feel like if you always hide in a locker, there's going to be less lockers or, or whatever, and it makes it so that way you can't just keep relying on your old reliable strategy of like, oh, well, I'll just do this. And, nope, now you're now it's going to screw you over this way. So it, it it reinforces that sense of like, oh, gosh, no matter what I do, the alien's so much smarter, and it keeps you in that state of, of, of panicked horror the way that a horror game really needs to. Mm, yep. Right, right. Especially it, it interesting to see what uh what it can do with making challenging opponents, you know. Uh like norm normally I think like in Perfect Dark, uh, you know, you you'd uh you'd set the difficulty to the enemies being perfect. That's the highest difficulty. And, you know, I guess it would just mean they would cheat, they would have perfect aim and stuff like that. Um, that that's how they make the game more difficult. But it'll be interesting to see what AI could add to actually making your enemies more intelligent rather than just having more hit points or, you know, perfect I, aim. And... Well, that's that's just mm -hmm. it. It's like you can, if you want to increase your difficulty, you can make your enemies deal more damage or you can give them more health and you can you can modify those things in simple numeric ways. But like the, the, the way that I'm describing in terms of the uh, interest I have of seeing the, the yeah, evolution uh, of AI. Enemies that actually games, learn what you what your habits are. Exactly. And the first time I encountered that was the first time I played through the first Half-Life game and I encountered the enemy grunts and they the way that they would work together as a team and they would try to flush you out with grenades out of your hiding spots. I'm like, how are they doing this? Because I was so used to playing games like Doom where the enemies would just pathfind in a straight line to come at you as quickly and directly as possible and they would just walk into your bullets but like then i was fighting i was playing in half-life this was back in 1998 you know and you had you had enemies that were taking cover they were throwing grenades they were doing burst fire and then going back into cover again and they were flushing you out and i was so impressed by that back then and we've only come further now where like you have very intelligent uh, computer enemies, and I'm just I'm I'm thoroughly looking forward to seeing how that develops in the next ten or fifteen years. Hmm. No, I yeah, I, and that that's a bit more of an ethical use of AI as well, you know, compared to you know. Well, as I said, I, like, as long as as long as we don't all die from Skynet, then yeah. I'd be interested to see how it goes. That's what's going to happen. It's going to learn how we play Call of Duty, and that's how it's going to learn to uh, counteract human intelligence. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if it comes to that, I'd say I had a good run. <laughs> <laughs> okay, honestly, so, though, like, yeah, but uh, that's that's a that's a different discussion. Okay, well, we're nearly um, getting past two hours now, so we should get to the game of the year. Um, the nominees were Alan Wake Two, Baldur's Gate Three, Marvel Spider Man Two, Resident Evil Four, Super Mario Brothers Wonder, and Tears of the Kingdom. All sequels. Yep, good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even Baldur's Gate, I kind of consider that a sequel to Divinity, spiritual sequel to Divinity Two. Yeah, more, no, more I, than I more than that. it being a sequel to Baldur's Gate Two. I get where that's coming from. And here's the thing: when when they when they finally came to Game of the Year and they made the announcement, Baldur's Gate was on the list. First of all, Baldur's Gate was on the list. Starfield wasn't even on the list. 
but you could still see that hope in Todd Howard's eye that they were still just going to announce Starfield was the winner <laughs> anyway. Right. And oh. just when they announced Baldur's Gate 3 as the Game of the Year award, and he realized that Starfield had won literally zero awards, you could just watch his soul rip in half. Oh, really? Could you? Oh, man, that'd be... Oh, yeah. No, they, they there was a camera on him when they were nice. making the announcement. And when, nice. when, like, every time Starfield came up for a nomination and it didn't win... You know, he just, he just, he's just like, all right, all right. He's just, he's just inhaling that copium until yeah. finally, like, there's the final category, and he realized that Starfield had not won a single category, and you just, you could just, you could see this the instant that his heart rips in half. Yeah, I, 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 I can relate to that because you get a lot more attached to your own creation. You know, you kind of, you're more biased to think that your own creation is the best thing ever made. You know. <laughs> Yeah, and like I said, I really, I hoped and I prayed sincerely that Starfield was going to be good. And it just comes back to what I said at the beginning of this podcast, is that we're all laughing at an industry that never learns anything. You had mm. you had No Man's Sky with a bad launch, you had Cyberpunk, and you had these massive, multi-billion dollar companies who were making these incredible mistakes and you know, and you would think that the rest of the industry would take a step back and say, "All right, what went wrong? How can we learn from this?" Yeah. And then Starfield happens, and it just comes out, and it just becomes the joke of the year because they rushed it; it wasn't ready at launch time, and they just said, "Go, go, go! We have to make this date." Yeah, and it, was, it was another Cyberpunk twenty seventy. And here's situation. the thing: well, at least Cyberpunk. And I know, I know, this is a it's a discredit to Cyberpunk because Cyberpunk getting delayed became its own joke. But right. like honestly, if you have to delay it, delay it because if it's not ready at launch, then you you're gonna end up with Starfield. You know, mm. you're gonna end up with No Man's Sky, where it's got all this space, literal space, but like there's nothing, there's no content filling it. You're gonna you're gonna end up with Sea of Thieves at launch, where it was a mile wide and an inch deep in terms of depth. You know, there was so little to do in the original Sea of Thieves when it first came out. Yeah, and, that, and there's a there's a thousand planets and only something to do on ten of them. <laughs> yeah, and like I'm I'm sure I'm sure that going forward in in the years to come, you know, in the next year, two years, five years, Starfield is going to become an amazing game. I'm sure that the modding community is going to pick up the slack and they'll be like, hey, here's the mod that fixes this really obvious glaring bug that they mm. couldn't fix on launch day, but here it is. And and there's going to be hot fixes and patches and all sorts of things. And I'm sure... Starfield and actually having a, having a reason to fly your ship in space, apparently that doesn't happen in Starfield. Yeah, because because <laughs> the pro here's the thing. Here, this, this is the big difference with an open-world game. Like, Starfield is an open-world game and, um, and, and, and Breath of the Wild... And Tears of the Kingdom are open world games, but Starfield has all these uh, fast travel points that you can fast travel between because that's what they want you to do. They want you to fast travel because traveling isn't fun. Whereas with Legends of Zelda, uh, Tears of the Kingdom, and even Breath of the Wild, yeah, you could fast travel, but part of the experience was just the traveling, seeing yeah. the landscape, and just uh, enjoying the journey. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one thing about that. Um, on, on Legend of Zelda, um, both Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, I rarely ever used my horse because um, I wanted to take in the surroundings and I wanted to, you know, um, be equipped, you know, like not stuck on my horse if, if something comes up. And I want to be able to go and forage um, materials and stuff. 
um, whereas being on your horse makes that harder. So I, I rarely um, even use the faster traveling of the horse as well in uh, Zelda. Yeah, but, the, but, the, but the point is, on a horse or not, the travel itself is engaging, and that is what mm. games like Starfield lack, and that's why they rely so heavily on the fast travel system. And the whole point of space exploration games should be the exploration. And yeah, I get that the realism is supposed to make it feel sparse. You can still do that while still making it interesting. You know, if you look at the modern take on No Man's Sky... You know, if you just fly around the star system, I mean, like, you still have asteroids and bandits that you can interact with in your moment-to-moment space travel, you know, rather than just, you know, hyper-jumping from one system to the next, trying to get to the center of the galaxy like the original game used to be. Like, that was the whole goal. You know, you have to make... If you're going to have an open-world game, if you're going to decide from the beginning to have an open-world game with a lot of traveling and exploration, you need to make that part of the game interesting. Hmm. And actually, that's something that I was thinking right now, you know, is like, if you want to make it interesting, what's one thing that they can do? And that's the first thing I thought, like, you know what, add bandits to it. Like, there's more that you can do, especially with the vastness of space. Like, for God's sakes, you can make beautiful backgrounds, you can make beautiful, uh, how should I say, quick time events, even. And utilizing stuff like asteroids and, and bandits, you can make it like, hey, there's an actual reason behind why you would want to travel in space in Starfield. Yeah, and, and one of the great things, too, and I hate to bring psychology elements into this, but, like, if you add in, like, the element of chance and lottery, where, like, hey, you can mine these asteroids, and, yeah, 99 asteroids is going to have just regular plain old iron in it, but you might find iridium, which is this really rare thing that you can only find by mining these asteroids in this in these travels, and it gives you a reason, it gives you a motivation to grind on this, like, otherwise mundane task, but it's something you can only do by, in your courses of travel, and, like, these asteroids just aren't going to be everywhere, you're going to find them, right, so when, so then when you find these asteroids, it becomes exciting because, oh, it's like a scratch ticket every time, and, oh, no, it was just more iron, but iron's very useful anyway, so I'm happy to have it, but, gosh, maybe next time it'll be iridium, and when you add that element of chance, and you make it a lottery, it, it engages people to want to not fast travel you know hmm. yeah i heard a lot about the fast traveling stuff on actual reason to travel and that's the important yeah. part you know you need a reason to you can't just be for example if you have no if there's nothing to do but travel if there's nothing to do but say you know just press w and keep moving forward you know that's basically just a running simulator but in space yeah yeah so i mean apparently starfield didn't really do very like it didn't yeah, do very well I, with its quests either. Or, I, th- know, I, think, I think Starfield NPC is going being. to become the next Cinderella story, kind of like, you know, with... Uh, with um, Once they work on it, it'll be... Cyber, cyberpunk. With Cyberpunk. It's going to be the next Cinderella story where it comes back from a terrible launch and ends up becoming a great game. And we just have to kind of let time tell on that. Yeah. But as far as, like, the rest of the award Game Awards ceremony, like, uh, watching uh, Kojima come out uh, with... Um, uh, Jordan Peele was strange. Mm. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I mean, I know as soon as he shows up, it becomes an event because he's just such a big celebrity in the gaming community and he's got his, you know, very dedicated fan base. And, and, and they shined the light right at his crotch. That that, that was kind of funny. I, I was showing know, I up his dick. T- it's like big really? dick Kojima. Oh, you didn't see that? No, uh, like when he walked, when, uh, when he walked in, you know, they had this effect where you know there was light shining behind him, and it went right between the bottom of, like you know, right between his thighs, and it looked like his, you know, it was glowing his dick. <laughs> oh, 
No, I, I think that's just how the backlighting things yeah. work. I don't know, Cash, is that, is that what you saw? Uh, I didn't I didn't actually notice anything like that, but I didn't watch it. So okay. I, yeah. I couldn't <laughs> it's tell just, It's weird, way. because like I know like the OD trailer was classic Kojima, where it's vague, you don't know what the game's even about. It, yeah. it just reminds me of like games like Death Stranding, where it's just like, ooh, it's got Sean Bean in it, so it must be good, and I'm sure he's probably going to die, because that's what he's known for. Yeah, I mean, it just gives me the impression that it's going to be one of those um, interactive movie games. That's yeah, kind of what it looks like. I, I think, I think, I think, yeah, that's uh, that's why I kind of get the impression that Kojima kind of ended up in the game industry, but he really wanted to be a movie director and just didn't have the chops for it or something. And hmm. This is the result. Um, Matthew Matthew McConaughey showing up was just like, are, are we in a fucking? Is this an episode of Punked right now? Is is I keep waiting for, for Ashton Kutcher to jump out and be like Punked. <laughs> you know what it is. It, we just live in the best timeline. That's really what it is. It's yeah, really I mean, this, this, we get to be the generation that remembers the good times before the missiles fly. You know, and Skynet takes over. <laughs> either that, or we all become irradiated monkeys. Yeah, I found e- that either that. Ooga booga. Odd Howard. But, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know. Man, right? The best way to solve a problem is to give it an unga dunga and a stock with a stick or two. Yeah, yeah. So, but but it, ju- it just it just comes back to what we what we said at the very beginning of this podcast that the the twenty twenty three game awards was a parody of itself, and in, in in a lot of ways it was. And I'm glad to see that they don't take themselves too seriously, like the Oscars. But on the other hand, it was kind of a little ham handed at times. And hopefully, uh, I'm looking forward to see what they do next year for sure. Yeah. And I'm really happy to see, yeah, Baldur's Gate 3 be the winner and um, get the recognition it deserved for such a great effort that they put into that game. Um, yes, and yeah. not, not just for it to be a good game, but I want it to be an example. I want all the other game developers to look at it and say, this is how you do it right. Here's yeah. the playbook. Just do it like this, you know? Yeah. And but the problem is um, a lot of, you know, a lot of... Uh, a lot of developer, AAA developers are really scared now because they're like, holy crap, that's the standard we have to reach? <laughs> yes, it is. And <laughs> yes, the fans are going to hold you to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, and not just I, that, I but... Uh, Howard, yeah, not just that, but um, the voice acting in Baldur's Gate 3 was absolutely phenomenal. <clears throat> um, a voice actor from Baldur's Gate 3 won the award for yeah, best acting in, in a game. Yes. And... Uh, it wasn't just Best him, though. Every single character in that game had phenomenal voice acting, and even the random NPCs that have, like, two lines of dialogue, even they were great voice actors. It was, it was absolutely amazing. It, it's <clears throat> Normally when I play a game, like Zelda, for example, I'll listen to a podcast while I'm playing. Um, I, I did not turn podcasts on at all during Baldur's Gate 3. I... I let I let the game absorb me fully, and you know, even in battle, you know, um, and yeah, it yeah, was and that and one that of those really, games. It's the mark of a it's the mark of a good game, and it really should be the stand the gold standard to which that we need to hold the rest of the industry up to. If they're going to be a billion dollar industry with a B, then yes, this is the level of quality we should be demanding from our developers. And you know, it's not the only place that we see that kind of that kind of. Uh, it's almost like a gate checking for quality, because you can see it in in movies. Movies when they don't have a good, let's say, 
when when there's something missing from a movie, it's kind of spreads like wildfire. Like when a movie doesn't have good ratings, there's a reason for it. Often, you know, it's oftentimes it's because a flaw within the movie itself. It's not usually, I mean, there's every once in a while where it's something like political or whatever it may be. But for the most part, there typically is a reason why a movie would get low ratings. And you can see that with like tomato scores or not tomato scores, the audience score. And yeah. you, you can typically tell like, hey, you know what? I can see why it got the, I, I can see why it got the rating it did. Very yeah, the, 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 it should the, mismatch. The bottom line is this is the information age. And and I'm not talking about like Google mining your information and selling it. You know, like people voluntarily provide their critical scores everywhere. Rotten Tomatoes is a great example. But if you just look at like the sales scores on things on a platform like Steam, all of that is publicly available information. You can see what sells and you can understand why they sell well. You know, and so there's really no excuse to for you to purposely with a with an unlimited budget the way the AAA game industry does to put out a bomb. So again, I think this is a really great precedent for Baldur's Gate 3 to set for the industry to say this is what the 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 community demands and yeah, this is a high bar to to meet and this is what you should be aiming for. You can't just you can't just get away with putting out crap anymore. Mm. Yeah. And, I, and I think I think that's a I think that's a, a good note to leave off on. You know, I have to agree with that one. Either that or we can also... Here, let me let me just pull up this clip of Todd Howard real quick. Yep. Game Award goes to Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate. Yeah. Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate. <laughs> yeah. And you see oh. his soul dying. <laughs> nice. I, I, I almost thought that was Bill Clinton, kid. And here's the thing. Like, I've watched... I watched the trailer that he put out, like when they did their big announcement, and it was this big, like, hour long making of the Starfield. And I was so excited to watch it. And, and I just, his excitement for it was so intoxicating. I really wanted it to be good. And then when it came out, I, you know, that there had to have been people within that, within that, in the industry that said, or within his company that said, it's not ready to launch. We need to delay it. And, to yeah. whoever was in charge of making those decisions, that was unacceptable, and they said, "Let's go," you know. Well, I mean, and... you can actually see that that's almost the story of Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, a game how many years in the making, being pushed back so many times, so many times, so many times, and eventually they said, "No, you know what? It's time to just put this game out," and it yeah. wasn't ready. And cyber, uh, to, uh, to, to be fair, Cyberpunk was a different story. I'm not, I'm not excusing it was, it them, but it, it was a different story where they did delay. They delayed so many times, and it still came out with a lot of problems. And I think that Starfield definitely didn't want to go that route where they just kept delaying, 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 because eventually you have to release. And I think that, honestly, the best thing that Starfield could have done was to release it and not necessarily slap early access on it, but maybe kind of release it with um uh controlled expectations yeah what i'm getting sick of is um that we're basically keep paying for paying to play alphas lately well here's the thing <laughs> i don't mind doing that if there's transparency like if yeah. you if you say yeah. early access on it then i'm going to go into it with certain expectations like okay yes i'm going to get this at a reduced cost and i'm going to give feedback to try to make this game better with the understanding that there's going to be bugs and yeah. if, they, if they had come out with Starfield saying it's early access, even if it's a AAA label, 
I'm okay with that. I could buy the game and say, okay, I'm going to go into this with the understanding, the transparent, uh, 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 informed decision to purchase the game, knowing that it's going to have problems, knowing that it's going to have bugs, knowing that you know, I'm going to need to give feedback and cope yeah. with this in the meantime with the understanding that it's going to be fixed down the line. But if you're going to release a game and call it a ready-to-go AAA game on launch day and it has all these problems with the promise of it being this amazing experience and it's not, that's just... That's just poor uh, yeah. selling it. Yeah, well, that, you, I that, mean, that's false, it's false advertising at worst. A lot of games are fine with doing that. Um, but, you know, there's certain places that your game can't go until it leaves early access. And that's probably um, the reason why, you know, the management or, the you know, the uh, corporate part of the, uh, of the game development process gets in the way because um, they want to be able to send the game out to game stores and, onto the Nintendo Switch if it's going there. Because obviously the Nintendo Switch doesn't have early access, you know, uh, alpha games. Yeah, on well, it. and ultimately we all need to understand that the games the games business is a business. And at the end of the day, the business's objective is yep. to make a product to make money. Yeah. And I think that I think that Starfield launching as it was when it did was the correct thing to do because now you put it in the hands of the community and now the modders can come in and fix it and then you could integrate those mods as hot patches so that way the whole gaming community gets to benefit from those changes without yeah. having to download the mods. Um, sure, sure hope they don't make us pay for mods. No, <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying I'm just saying that there's, it's totally okay for the game to do that like for the game to come out be broken like when skyrim came out it was broken we added mods it got better because they took the the changes that the modding community made and they integrated it into the core game and starfield can and should and probably will do the exact same thing i just wish that they had been transparent about that at launch when they said when it came out and said hey listen we know it's got a few bugs in it but we've had a really great modding community with skyrim and we know that you guys can carry this ball and yeah i know they're not going to get a standing ovation saying that the modding community is going to pick up all the slack that they missed out on but if they say like looks it's either this or we're going to delay this game another year i think people would be pretty okay with that the majority of people would be okay with that because as long as you're transparent with it and that's the difference and that's the point i'm trying to make is that no game is going to be perfect at launch with games as big and as complex as they are now we're not talking about like super mario brothers coming out in a cartridge where it's set in stone if there's a bug in that game it's there forever oh yeah they're fucked then these, these games are living vessels where you can change them you can mod them you can have patches you can hotfix them you can have dlc for them and you, you can treat it that way and have a game come out that's got problems with it with the promise that you're going to fix it and the and the and the hopes that like your modding community is going to help you with that yeah, and you that, they are leaning yeah they are leaning on that too much now though like you know but, they they, they use they it need, as an excuse now but they need to be i'm just saying they need to be honest about that when, it, yeah. when the game comes out they need to be honest say hey listen it's not perfect but it's either if you wait if you wait for it to be perfect you're going to wait forever Here's what we got, you know, and as long as you are honest about that, people will respect that. And so it's mm. a lot better than Starfield trying to promise that's going to be the god of games and have it be this buggy mess because that's just it's just embarrassing, you yeah, know. I mean, and you can also look at it like you know that's technically speaking also a way to in a sense save on cost because if you're transparent about it from the beginning, saying like you know this is an alpha game, you're one hundred percent correct in that people are going to find ways to essentially create hot patches. They're going to find ways to make mods that fix this specific yeah, problem. Yeah, they're going to find Maybe the problems that the developers don't know about, haven't found. Right, because, I mean, not every, you know, nobody's perfect. 
there are and the fans of the game will do it for free like i don't understand like why more business models don't like i I hate to get immoral about it but like i don't understand why more business models don't like just exploit that yeah but anyways the point is Baldur's Gate 3 has set the bar high, rightfully so. We have high hopes for Starfield. I hope it becomes a good game in the future. And I'm looking forward to 2024 gaming scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what, what comes out from this and comes out from, you know, in the future. Because this is the first Game Awards that I've actually paid any form of attention to, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, just this one and last year's one. Last year's one I also watched with Shakes. In his uh, Discord with the community. So I'm and looking forward to so yeah. mm. here. Yeah, it's an interesting yearly event to keep track of, I guess. Even though it's a, yeah, a bit of a parody, can't really be taken too seriously. Although... But I'm okay with that. Like I, When I say that it's a parody of itself, I'm not saying that to make fun of it. I'm just saying that that's what, that's what it is. I'm okay with it. And I think that they're doing it correctly to the right audience. They're, they're, they're playing it to their audience. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we're yeah, two hours and 20 minutes in. So I think um, we might want to end it here unless we want to talk about Baldur's Gate 3 in detail. Um, but maybe you guys don't have time for that. No, not tonight. That'll be that'll be time for another podcast. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could do it always. We can always just start off next podcast with that. Yep. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. All right, All right guys. Till next time. Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, and I'll you. see you guys next time. Thanks. All right. Have a good one, everyone. All right. This is your queen speaking. I was brought back from the dead temporarily to complete my final royal duty to officially endorse the Mystery Gaming Bros podcast. Now please let me rest in peace. Game over.